Hey everybody, this is Mark Tiberius Lemke, uh, Chicago Blackhawks fan, can't forget that part. This podcast is part of the Batman Universe Podcast Network, um, so go over to the patreon.com slash the Batman Universe and uh, do that, and um, make sure you take the TVU feedback survey at surveymonkey.com slash r slash TVU feedback. I got it, Tim. Oof. You did, and you even, you know, doing some little ad-lib there, adding some stuff that's not on the traditional script that we have in the show notes. I mean, yeah, I mean, you have it as, and you can help support the Batman universe by heading to uh, patreon.com slash Batman universe. But I don't know. It didn't, it didn't sound right at the time, you know? Yeah. Plus for, after saying it so long, you know, you kind of want to make it your own a little bit. Just want to keep saying the same thing over and over and over again. Right. Right. (laughs) So, uh, how are the Yankees doing? Yankees. Uh, these past two weeks, they've been still in first place, which is the most important part. They're yeah. winning series, which is good, and Boston's losing, which is always good. So they have about a <laughs> three, three or three and a half game lead right now. But here's the big thing: I just hope they continue their you know playing well for the next week and a half because I will be going to see the Yankees play in about two weeks when they come to Anaheim. This will be the first time I'm going to see them since 2010, and oh wow, I. I rarely go to baseball games. I was like, you know what? I'm going to go all out here and get some good seats. So uh, I got really good seats on the first base side. Low level, about 12 rows back. And I mean, I'm excited for it. I can't wait. So as long as they keep playing good and there's a good game on Tuesday when I go see them, uh, it should be <laughs> really, really fun. So I'm excited for that. Well, that's good. Um is is uh, the Angel Stadium closer to you than the, the Dodger Stadium? Yeah, a lot closer and a lot nicer oh. and a much, much better parking lot. I can't stress that enough. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Dodger Stadium is an older stadium. Yeah, it is. I mean, I don't think they did anything to it, right? Well, they renovated, you know, the actual stadium seats and, like, the inside and stuff like that. Right, right. The parking lot's the biggest thing that <laughs> needs to be changed and solved, somehow fixed. It's just awful getting out of there. And I I didn't notice this until I, I, I caught a Dodgers game, but they um, they have luxury seats. I didn't even know that. Along the uh, first and third baseline. Yeah. I, mean, most, I know before the old Dodger Stadium, there was that behind home plate, there was like that really lower level behind yeah, you know, there was like some netting there. They kind of took away and just expanded the normal, I guess, first level seats down there. But oh, I, see. I haven't been to Dodger Stadium, like I said, since 2010. But those weren't really because last I saw them was the early play where the Dodgers played, or the Yankees came to LA and played the Dodgers. Yeah, and I was kind of in the not upper deck, but kind of in the middle. So wasn't the greatest seats, but before I remember. I had some like the club level section seats a long time ago when I was like maybe six or seven years old. Those were probably the best seats I've had to a baseball game at that point. Probably until I don't know I'm going to go to this Yankee game <laughs> in two weeks where those seats would be really really close. It's seats where you know got to prepare for some fly ball or some foul balls that might go into the stand, so got to be alert. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I've always had a problem with sitting, uh, you know, along the baselines. Because I mean, if 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 there's a foul ball like line drive coming straight towards you, there's not much you can do yeah. about it. Duck and put so. your hands up, or, or <laughs> bring your glove and hope your catching skills are you know up to par. <laughs> right, right. 
Well, I mean, that's good. At least you got some good seats. You get to see the Yankees. You get to see uh, Aaron Judge. Exactly. I mean, that's what really kind of motivated, motivated me to go this time. You got lots of young, good players that are playing really well, you know, taking yeah. advantage of them while they're doing good right now. So decided this will be the year I finally get my butt down there. <laughs> <laughs> well, he is an A's fan, too. Is he? Yeah, I think he's from the Bay Area. <laughs> I think he's from Oakland. <laughs> yeah, I didn't even know that. <laughs> Must why, and so, that and, must be why he, they let Oakland win one game in the series last week. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and speaking of Oakland, um, I think I think yesterday they went uh, or they lost uh, fifteen to three or something <laughs> against, uh, against the Indians. I think they won today, so so I mean that's good. Yeah. A win's a win, despite yeah. being last place. <laughs> yeah, it seems like that uh, NBA Finals is a little more uh, interesting than. Uh, the Cleveland Oakland um, matchup. Yeah, I'm sure <laughs> the attention is going to be more towards that than Oakland than the A's versus the Indians. <laughs> yeah, because I mean you have two. You know, it is kind of cool. Really good. Teams. It is kind of cool though that they're same cities are playing each other at the same time when one's either in the finals and even though you know it's not the playoffs for the baseball, but it's still kind of cool it worked out that way. Yeah, yeah, and I think if I'm not mistaken, Tim. I think uh, where the uh, the Warriors play, the Golden State Warriors, I think it's right next to the Coliseum. I'm, <laughs> or it's near it. <laughs> maybe I'm not sure. maybe Oakland should just go ahead and play at that basketball court. It'd probably be better than <laughs> the Coliseum. <laughs> <laughs> or I, I think – now here's my theory, Tim. I, I think the A's – and I – I think that they should go to their nearest uh, minor league team and play there. I mean, why not? <laughs> yeah, I mean, the Coliseum is in it, – it, it's, it, it's, it's not in good shape, right? Well, to, to say the least. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, it's not like you're downgrading, right? Yeah, I think if you, if you, anywhere would be an upgrade from the Oakland Coliseum. <laughs> yeah. Even a place with obstructed views would be better. Yeah. <laughs> so you can't see them lose. <laughs> <laughs> right. But anyway, um, yeah, I guess that's our baseball talk for this uh, for this episode. Uh, you know, we always got to get the baseball talk in there. Of course. I mean, especially when we're a quarter of the season. We're into a quarter of the season now, so we're making progress as far as, you know, advancing and see where your team's at and how much of a chance they have to, you know, hopefully yeah. make the postseason. Yeah, and speaking of quarter of the season, you know, being done, it's like, should I? And the A's are at the bottom of their uh, division, the AL uh, West. Now, should I, as an Oakland A's fan, just be like, okay, the season's going to be bad? Or should I hold out hope that maybe things will be better? I hate to do it, Dane, but it's best to, you know, put you out of your misery and just say right now it's over <laughs> okay <laughs> they're in last place in the division they're about what 11 12 games out houston's yeah. the best team in baseball and i'm I know. sorry right. <laughs> but maybe i should hope for a, a, a wild card spot or no no I think that's gonna be tricky <laughs> yeah you got yeah that's what i figured three teams in the east and in the central eh, no, they're really not that good on the central so I think yeah. it's actually going to come. The two wild card teams might be from the East. All right. So 
I should just call it a day. <laughs> Sadly, yes, Dane, I'm sorry. Okay. If they do, it'll be a comeback of all time <laughs> if they make a push <laughs> for the playoffs. Maybe they'd have to win like 20 games again, 20 straight games. Yeah, so, yeah that'll be something like <laughs> they did in 2002. Yeah. <laughs> I think they had to do that in 2002, right? Because wasn't the or weren't the uh, it was the Mariners really good? Uh, was the Mariners it was the Angels. The that's when the Angels, Angels won it all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe I can hold out hope after the All Star break that they'll they'll string together like twenty wins and or twenty one wins and break their own record for most consecutive yeah. wins. Let's let's <laughs> have them first get into you know single digit numbers of games behind Houston <laughs> where you get some hope. <laughs> right, right. Baby steps. But you know what I was wondering recently is um you know during the uh All Star game, right? Mm-hmm. Does every team have to be be uh represented? Yep. Uh, at least one player. Mm-hmm. Okay. They have I'm not, one. Yeah, I'm just wondering who who that's gonna be. Like <laughs> is it gonna be <laughs> Is it going to be Steven Vogt again? Whoever, whether it's a relief pitcher, even a utility guy, whoever has some decent number, <laughs> that's who's going to make it. Maybe like the the bullpen catcher. <laughs> <laughs> they need a fourth catcher for the All Star. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, that's enough about the A's season. I mean, I, I'm I'm just holding out hope that they'll end the season a game above 500. That's all I want from the season. That's not entirely impossible. So yeah, you can shoot for yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. I'm. That's what I'm aiming for. That's what I hope my uh, or uh, the Oakland A's finish. One game above 500. Then you then you could celebrate a solid season. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, let's do our, our Dark Knight Rises minute by minute commentary. Uh, we're going from minute 84 to 85. Um, so, so grab your DVD, grab your HD DVD, grab your a projector, grab your laser disc, grab your Blockbuster rental, and last but not least, grab your Netflix DVD subscription DVD rental. Get that red envelope out, pull out the DVD that it comes in, yeah. and stick it in. Yeah. So... With that being said, just cue it to the 84th minute, and I'm going to give the countdown. So, Tim, are you ready? I am ready. All right, three, two, one, hit play. As we see Bane and his men making his way through the rubble that he created. As he... I forgot we're still down in this Yeah. <laughs> we're going to be getting a lot of shots here, I think, over the course of this commentary for the next few episodes. Yeah. Bane is threatening the board member. Which I, I am glad they got that uh, same guy. He was from Batman Begins, I believe, too. The one who was kind of questioning about... Uh, yeah, he was. Tom, like, this oh, is not no, something no. Thomas what, Wayne would do. Wasn't he from uh, Dark Knight? I think he was in that, too. And I think he was the one who told Bruce that uh-huh. uh, the apple has fallen far from the tree. Oh, right, right, yeah. Which I hope he realizes now that, despite not knowing Bruce is Batman, that the apple didn't far from, fall from the tree. <laughs> Because, you know, that look on Bruce's face when he stole that to him, it really, that really hurt him. Why would you need the, the board member? I mean, why would you put the board members as, like, the, the passcode or whatever? That's what... you got to have someone's hand on there. It's got to be the top dog, so... <laughs> why not, why not well, Bruce? 
I'm sure his would be on there too, unless it got taken yeah. away once you know he lost uh, <laughs> the company. <laughs> You know, if they really wanted to keep it high tech or like security that no one would know, they would just give it to to some random employee, like low level employee. <laughs> but yeah. no one would think would be the one to access that big security. Maybe like the yeah, like the janitor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody will ever expect him. I mean, he just cleans the bathrooms and empties out the trash and has access to the highest security <laughs> room at <in> Wayne Enterprises. <laughs> It would go with Bane. It was kind of like what Bane did with the Trigger Man, just some random citizen of Gotham. We know it wasn't. It was actually Talia, but yeah. he made it look like it was that, which made it hard for anyone to know what to do. So they should have took a page out of Bane's book. I guess that's a good strategy. I mean, just just tell everybody a lie and just have it be your boss. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, either way, I guess it'll work. <laughs> yeah. Um, but Tim, now... Why don't you tell everybody what our featured topic for this episode is going to be? <laughs> With pleasure. I, but I wonder what it could be. Did some movie come out <laughs> this past I don't weekend? think so. Okay. <laughs> I better think of one on the spot then. <laughs> yeah. But no, of course, it's going to be our review of Wonder Woman. Finally, Wonder Woman has gotten her own movie. And it's, you know, going into it. It was. I, mean, I was excited to go into it before. I mean, seeing the trailers, it looked awesome. And then we talked about it on our last episode how you know some of the early screenings was getting some positive reactions, and then the reviews came out earlier this week. It's it's getting really really good reviews. Reviews we haven't seen for a DC movie since The Dark Knight Rises. <laughs> it's been that long, so I was really pumped going into it. And so before we get into all the details and our thoughts and all that, of course, we got to say it is going to be a spoiler discussion. We're going to talk about everything that went on in the movie that we want to talk about and not be worried about spoilers so the spoiler warning is out there so i saw it on opening night thursday we're excited to just finally be in that theater to see a wonder woman movie and i left the theater not disappointed at all i thought it was great i mean it's one of those movies where i just like just had a good feeling afterwards once it was over i mean i've been thinking about it since i've seen it then and i always don't like to you know, rank movies with other, like, in this case, superhero movies, like, rank it right away as far as with other ones, or really say, you know, if it's a immediate classic, or I, I immediately love it right away. It's rare when I do that for a movie, I gotta say. It's really rare. So that, it, it takes me a few viewings to get to that level where for me to say, you know, this is a true classic, or I really love it. It's one of the all-time greats. And while I don't necessarily feel that way right now about Wonder Woman, it's one of those movies, I think, the more I see it, the more I can get to that conclusion. But my initial reaction is I thought it was great. I couldn't ask for a better, you know, movie for her to have her debut as far as a solo outing goes and have her movie be the way it did in this film. So my initial reactions were just, you know, I was just excited and so happy that it turned out the way it did as I left the theater. So that was my initial reactions. And Dane, I cannot wait to hear your initial reaction. So come on, let's have it. <laughs> okay. So as you know, listening to this podcast, maybe this is your first time listening to this podcast. Well, I will say that the DC movie universe it hasn't been something that I've liked. I, I didn't like uh, Batman vs. Superman. I didn't like uh, Suicide Squad, right? Um, but I have to say, Tim, that I love this movie. Yes, it's, it did it. <laughs> <laughs> it is exactly what I wanted. Uh, 
yeah, it's exactly what I wanted. It's a great movie. It's well written. Now, Tim, it is well written. <laughs> I don't think I've heard <laughs> you say that for a movie, DC movie we reviewed since the Dark Knight Rises episode, which goes all the way back yeah. to episode number eight. <laughs> so. Wow. <laughs> it is a well written movie. It's well directed. So my hat's off to Patty Jenkins. Yeah, she did. she did a fantastic job. Uh, she, yeah, she, she, like I said, she did a fantastic job. But I have to really, really thank Gal Gadot because she is Wonder Woman. She, yeah, she was. I think great. The, this movie, this movie rides on her performance, and it, she definitely succeeds at it. And I think this is. This is one of the best DC movies that they put that they've put out, and you know I'm just so thankful for it. Yeah, well, that's awesome. <laughs> I mean, I, you did send me the text last night just saying, "Wow, Tim, wow!" <laughs> and I didn't want to push it because I go, "I want to save it for the podcast." Here is initial reactions yeah. for the first time here, and I just said, "I can't wait to talk to you about it tomorrow." <laughs> but I kind of had a feeling yeah. it was going to be something positive unless you're really trolling me and just go you know wow tim wow this was <laughs> awful <laughs> no no definitely not um i going into this movie uh, i really didn't have any expectations for it i didn't expect to like it um i did see that it was getting positive reviews on rotten tomatoes all, all i saw was um the the percentage score which i believe was at 92 percent at the time of uh, or or when I went to go see it, and I was like, oh okay. I mean, at least some people like it, I guess. At least ninety two percent of the critics like it. Majority, yeah. Um, and I, <laughs> I love this movie. Too. <laughs> so yeah, let's get into it. It's why we love it so much. I mean, you mentioned it right away. I mean. Gal Gadot was, was Wonder Woman. I mean, do you remember, Dane, the, the initial announcement when she was going to be in Batman v Superman? Now, there was a lot of, you know, uh, little reservations about if she could pull it off and a lot of people right. saying, you know, oh, and she hadn't been in anything. I've never heard of her until that was announced, so I wasn't sure. Of, you know, just, I wouldn't say I was skeptical, but I just, you know, never seen her, so I didn't know what to expect, but she was great in Batman v Superman for a little limited screen time in that movie, and this it made me excited to see yeah. her in her live action solo debut for a film and yeah and i mean that was the thing too right we, we we had never seen her in anything before um but but after uh batman versus superman i think the problem was i don't know if i liked her because she didn't really have much to do in that movie except for the the, the final part of the movie and you know i get I guess that scene at uh, Lex Luthor's manor, mansion, yeah. or whatever. But after that movie, after I seen that movie, I, I was unsure if I liked her because she was she was a good actress and she played the part really well, or if she just didn't. I I didn't see what she had to offer yet. And I think after watching this movie, that I mean, I'm I'm pretty sure that it's because she's a great actress and you know she had good material, so. At least that that I I have confirmation now. Yeah, you know? <laughs> I mean, she totally showed everyone that she could you know handle a starring role in a movie all on her own. As far as the lead, as far in the biggest female superhero ever created, and those are pretty big shoes to fill. I mean, like I said, it's been one 
took so long for Wonder Woman to get her own movie, much longer than it needed to. But at the same time, it's like, well, if it was for this movie that we got, maybe it was for the best because this one is so good. But yeah, I mean, she nailed it. She just had all the qualities that you were looking for in Wonder Woman. She had, you know, this even at the beginning when she's on the mascara, the attitude of, you know, wanting to do good and just help people when she heard, you know, about the war going on in man's world and just being so determined to go and help him. And just like the look on her face when Steve's telling her, you know, what's going on in the war to end all wars, as he described it, and just the look on her face, looking to her mother, like, we got to do something about that. And then, you know, just the warmth and comfort that she shows to other people that she interacted with throughout the course of the movie at the same time, you know, just being the amazing Amazon warrior that <laughs> we expect Wonder Woman to be when she has to in those action sequences, which we'll get into a little later, but were pretty darn awesome. But some of my favorite moments with Diana and Wonder Woman was, besides the action stuff, was this seeing her get in the face of some character. Like, one of the best scenes, I think, was when she goes into that room with all the generals when she really wasn't supposed to be there, and they're just saying, you know, how they're not, they're going to just pursue this course of, you know, trying to get peace and not help that or deal anything with that poison uh, gas that's being developed that's going to kill millions of people. She just gets in her face. It's like, you know, where I come from, the generals fought alongside uh, their soldiers and die in the battlefield, and you guys are just cowards. Like, moments like that where she calls out uh, humanity and these people who are, you know, are corrupt or whatever, and just, you know, getting in their face about what really needs to be done, and they're just, you know doing things to keep themselves safe while other so the soldiers are go out and die. So I just loved how she, you know, showed the humanity and how they need to be better and she really embodied that as far as, you know, what you would expect Wonder Woman to do in those situations. So yeah, just all across the board. Her performance which is great from action story standing point, from the dramatic story point and it's just yeah, everything. I mean, it's kind of hard just to name all of them because she nailed all of her scenes that she had. So, I, yeah, casting Gal Gadot as Wonder Woman was a stroke of genius by <laughs> Zack Snyder and all those involved when they initially cast her for Batman v Superman. So I just can't wait to see more of her in, in Justice League, which is awesome since it's so close. Because I think this is really the first time for a movie where we're seeing a character... And then we get to see them again in a movie that's so close. I know sometimes with the Marvel movies, it's usually like a year later at the soonest that you get to see a character again, like Iron Man and the Avengers or Captain America and the Avengers, something like that. But this one, we just have to wait a few more months and to see her again. And we assume is going to be another big role as part of Justice League. So, yeah, Gal Gadot was great, and I just can't wait to see more for Wonder Woman, not only in Justice League, but of course, you know, the inevitable sequels that are going to come for Wonder Woman too. So, yeah, there's a lot to look forward to with her as Wonder Woman in the future. Yeah, and I have to say, like, th- this movie kind of does it correctly because for me, I, you know, the one thing that I didn't want them to do was that whole, you know, after she leaves uh, Themyscira, she comes to, uh, I guess, uh, London or 19... 19- early 1900s London and you know she she's like oh what's you know what's this and what's this and what's this and they, they kind of use that for co- uh, comedic effect right and that's what I was afraid of I was afraid like you know she was going to she, she was going to act like um, clueless she's going to be a clueless Diana I, you know I thought um, 
that they they handled handled it really well. There there was a good reason for it, and mm-hmm. the, uh, the movie didn't uh, bash you over the head. With yeah, it. you know, it wasn't like a big thing. I mean, there was it it, it, it was done for the, the the comedic effect, and it works really well. And that that's one of the big uh, thing or you know things I was looking out for and making sure that they 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 didn't do. Um, yeah, it all felt really natural. Those comedic moments too. Like, right, right. It, it, it wasn't just in there for you know just to make you laugh. Exactly. It, it, it had something to do with the story. Um, but you know, I've I've been really critical of the way that not only the 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 the, the DC movie universe is, you know, I mean all of the movies, um, but. Also, I, I think I've been critical of the uh, visual style of the of, of all these movies. You know, they they have these. I mean, particularly Suicide Squad, where they have these action scenes that don't really mean anything. I mean, they try to force some story into it, but it doesn't really work. Um, but I thought that the visuals in you know in this movie uh, was probably the most memorable thing for me um you know they they do that Zack snyder sort of slow down during certain points um during you know a fight scene um and you know it seems like it's just there to be cool but in wonder woman i felt that you know it 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 seems like it's not just there to look cool you know it's it 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 tells a story through it, you know. They're not just fighting to fight to have a cool fight scene in the movie, and they're not just doing that slowdown thing just to look cool, you know. They're, they're they kind of inject the story into it too, you know. And I, that's something I think, especially Batman versus Superman, because that whole Batman versus Superman fight meant absolutely nothing because there was nothing behind it. I mean, they they pretty much did nothing. Uh, Batman kind of slowed down um, su- Superman with the, the kryptonite stuff. And, you know, it's it didn't really mean anything. But I thought that, you know, as a point, that Wonder Woman did it really well. Uh, I, I love the fight scenes. All of the fight scenes were really good. Um, and, yeah, that... They just did a really good job with it. <laughs> you know what? My one little nitpick for the movie was I even said this on the trailers when they were showing it. I was a wor- little worried that there'd be too many slow motion effects for this fight sequences. And I, overall, it didn't bother me, but I thought the, it was a little too much in the first action sequences where the Amazons were fighting the German soldiers on the beach. I just thought there was a little bit too much use for when the Amazons were doing some cool moves in their attacks but I was like, I'd really just like to see it in, you know, normal speed of them fighting. But that was the only time I thought that was maybe used a little too much. But at the same time, a lot of those shots were really cool in that action sequence. And, yeah, let's just go ahead and talk about the action sequences then right now because there's pretty much three big ones and with some little ones mixed in here and there like the cool homage to the Christopher Reeve Superman movie where she catches the bullet in front of Steve Trevor and then just blocks tons of them as the guys are shooting it from all directions. That one was awesome. But, you know, the three main ones, the battle on the beach with the Amazons, uh, No Man's Land where Wonder Woman comes out of the trench, and then, of course, the final battle with uh, Ares at the end. So 
the Amazon battle sequences on the beach, it was cool, but I don't know why. Maybe it'll be a little better when I see it again. I just, I don't know. I don't want to say disappointed because it was cool, but I just wanted, I guess, maybe to be a little longer, a little more from it. I just, when it was over, I just thought, oh, it's over already, but I was kind of hoping for a little more, but it was still a cool sequence. I mean, seeing the Amazons uh, take out those soldiers and then just kind of, it was a cool, really cool aspects of it weren't kind of the actual fighting, but just seeing Diana and Steve Trevor's reacting to what's going on. I mean, seeing Diana watch as one Amazon gets, you know, she sees gets killed for the first time by a bullet, something they've never seen before. That was a pretty brutal way. She's swinging down on that rope and then she just gets shot and just hangs there. And then, you know, of course, the big event that happens at the end where uh, Diana's aunt sacrifices herself to save Diana from a bullet that happens that, you know, comes across her. So there's things like that that made it for some, you know, good emotional aspects of that battle sequence. But um, like I said, maybe it'll be a little better seeing it again since I kind of know what to expect, not to expect to be this really long action sequence, but take it for what it is, a shorter one and kind of, you know, setting the stage for some bigger stuff later on because there was some cool moments in there. But um, the big one for me and probably the best part of the movie, the No Man's Land action sequence boy <laughs> we knew from the trailers that that scene looks pretty cool but there was just a really cool feeling and energy in the theater when that moment happened when she you know comes out of the trench climbing that ladder and that's the first time in the movie we see her in her full-on wonder woman outfit uh the crowd erupted in cheers <laughs> in my screening and i mean i can't speak for everyone but i kind of think I can where because I had chills at that moment and I think everyone else did <laughs> when she was just walking up especially just how the build up to that was great we see her and her team with Steve Trevor making through their ways through the trench and just seeing even a little before that making their way there just seeing the devastation of what this war is having on people seeing people injured and sick and then that um, woman and with her child saying you know our village is taken we're captured but the soldiers aren't doing anything and then of course Steve's telling her the situation of why they're having advancing for almost a year in this spot because of the heavy artillery that the Germans have on the other side and then just how Diana's you know not going to stand for it she's going to help the people in that village and it was just such a really cool sequence and that's something where that moment put the hero in superhero movies it was just like a really heroic action sequences and just seeing her flick away those bullets block those machine guns with her shield take down that trench and then boy that battle sequence in the village was just so so cool we got a little tease of it in some trailers but this is one where they delivered where they didn't show everything in the trailer and saved a lot of cool stuff in the actual movie i mean just seeing her take out those soldiers and just seeing how it was shot i've seen some other people uh talk about this before i saw it saying how they loved how the acting sequences were shot because the camera was kind of pulled back on a lot of shots it wasn't close up and i always like it when it's pulled back when you can get a good view of the action that's going on and there are some great shots like that when she's taking out those soldiers in that village using her lasso which is so cool it's like wrapping wrapping soldiers pulling them kicking them off just taking them down one by one and then when she flips over that tank showing her strength for the first time in a really big way was so cool and then how it ended with uh you know that sniper out up in that tower and 
how their sniper froze and he couldn't take the shot and it was a cool callback to that first action sequence too where steve was looking how the amazons fought and he got that big piece of metal and just said you know diana shield and she knew exactly what to do because she saw uh, i believe it's her aunt who did that move in on the beach and just you know jumped on that metal lifted her up and she just plowed through that sniper and the whole top of that building crumbled it was just a cool way to cap off an amazing action sequence it was so cool there was like i said that great i think buzz in the theater once that scene was going on and once it ended it was just so so awesome yeah and i think that that's definitely the best fight scene because um i think another thing that the uh this movie does really well is the um it's the locations, right? Yes. It, it doesn't really feel... It doesn't really have that... Um, we are on a CGI soundstage look, right? It, it, maybe they were, but it doesn't really seem no, that way. No, I think way. the only it time they like, really were was for the ending sequence, the ending fighting sequence, but yeah, a lot of behind-the-scenes videos, you see them like, on at locations for the Mascara battle and the, that uh, No Man's Land battle. It was all on location for the most part. Yeah, and I—it's—it's it's not only that; it's also the costume uh, design. You know, it's—it's not—it—it it didn't feel like they were playing dress up. Um, like I felt, um, the Suicide Squad was kind of like you know they're just playing dress up. The, they didn't really look that that good. Um, and yeah, like I said, it—it—it it, it, it doesn't feel like they were on a CGI sound set or whatever. You know, I mean, a uh, stage. You know. Um, it 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 felt like we were in Themyscira and you know on the Western Front and in London and it it just all works so well and it, that's a, that's another you know thing that I think the other the the other movies were missing was that that sort of you know we are here we're not you know on a on a stage you know sure. No, yeah, I totally get where you're coming from. You can just tell. I mean, like I said, the beginning with them mascara, I mean, couldn't ask for a better representation of Paradise Island than what we got in this movie. It really felt like you were on there. You know, uh, an ancient, you know, civilization that's totally different and separate from mankind's world. And I just loved how they embraced the whole Greek mythology and gods that, you know, and the Amazons that they're based off from. They didn't shy away from that. I love that little prologue. It wasn't really a prologue because it was a few minutes into the movie, but when Diana's mother, Hippolyta, was telling her the story of where Amazons came from and Zeus creating life and, you know, the battle with Ares that they had. I just, it was done in a cool way where, you know, you weren't actually seeing sequences of that, but it was like, almost reminded me of like a pop-up book type of thing, but visually it was really cool and something different that I thought was, uh, you know, unique for these type of movies to tell a background story like that. I thought that was really cool, but yeah. The mascara was represented so so well and i just it's one of those movies i just love where it's kind of where visually anyway it just feels like to- two totally different movies which i think is cool because which is what it's supposed to be you know diana's used to this you know like steve trevor calls it a paradise island <laughs> where everything's perfect and even though we heard it in the trailers at uh, her line where he goes welcome to jolly old london she goes it's hideous i mean <laughs> it's still you know a lie that I thought I think still works really well when I saw it in the movies because you really see that contrast and how 
you know, beat down and is like she says, hideous man's world looks, especially now during a period of war. So I just loved how the contrast was so different between, you know, the mascara and then London where they were at during World War One. It's really, really cool. So to finish up our discussion on the action sequences of the movie, we get to the final act, which, you know, I was kind of preparing myself to be, you know, I don't want to say like I'm going to prepare to be disappointed, but keeping my expectations in check because out of a lot of reviews that I've seen from people, that was the one area where they said the movie kind of loses it a little bit. But I got to tell you, I love that final action sequence and just the whole final act in general. I thought it was great. Some of my favorite moments were in that final act. And I just loved how it played out. We got another one of those smaller action sequences where she was taking down that... Uh, German general, the main villain, who was you know kind of the red herring of the movie, where she thought he was Ares, and when she killed him, nothing happened. I just love that moment where her reaction, and just throughout the whole movie, just you know, kind of that you know having that naive attitude where as, oh, as long as I just kill Ares, everything will go back to normal in the world, mankind will be at peace, it'll be just like how Zeus intended. I, oh, as long as I kill Ares, that's why I gotta you gotta get me to him. And but even Steve the whole time. You know, while he believed her to killing Ares, Ares because, you know, he went to the mascara, he saw the Amazons and knows that there was some truth to this stuff, but throughout the whole movie, he probably knew in the back of his head, it's not just that simple where you just kill one man and then, poof, they're going to have peace. But the reaction that Diana had once she killed that general and nothing happened, just how kind of almost her whole world and belief system came crumbling down where she just, like, came to a realization where you know you know my mother was right you know you mankind isn't to be trusted you're like i'm you don't deserve me and all that stuff where you're doing this to yourselves and you really are a species that you know are doomed to destroy each other and then you know kind of not sure what to do with herself in this situation i've heard some people complain about you know where she would have that attitude but then would need a little pep talk from steve trevor to get her back into it but I thought it worked well because she believed in that so much throughout the course of the movie that, of course, when she found out that killing Ares wasn't going to do away with mankind from fighting wars, like of course it would be like a system shock to her where she didn't wouldn't know what to do at that moment. So I thought it worked really well. But then we get the reveal of who Ares actually was in the movie, and I'm, I'm blanking on his name right now, the general who... Patrick. Patrick. Okay, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> Where, you know, he was the one kind of helping them out on their secret mission, like giving them the okay, giving them some money. Yeah. And here's the thing. I kind of knew it was him already because I read that, you know, an actor has been cast in Ares and he's going to appear in the movie, but maybe not in full-blown Ares costume. So I go, okay, well, I definitely know it's not the actor who's playing you know the main german general so i can rule him out i kind of figured it would be the one who's kind of you know secretly helping them so it didn't come as a cool like or as a big surprise to me when it was revealed but i still think it was a pretty cool twist though where i think if no one is expecting that going in where they know aries or <laughs> the actor who's playing aries it's going to be a pretty cool twist for them and i gotta say i really liked what they did with aries in this movie from a story standpoint but Visually, I was so, so glad that they decided to give him a version of his costume to see on screen because he has a really cool costume. I know it kind of got leaked in some, I believe, Lego images that came out first, but then some action figures. But it didn't actually look like that. It looked different in the movie because he was just, you know, 
pulling in these scraps of metal from the destruction of that base and tanks to form his armor that he had like eons ago when he was you know with the gods and doing battle with them but i thought it still had a cool look visually that moment where he comes out of the flames and you see his helmet but you don't necessarily see his face you just kind of see a black shadow through that helmet i thought that looked really cool i go yep that's the areas i was hoping to see in the movie i kind of wish he stayed like that for that whole fight sequence i think when you kind of actually see his face and the actor uh in that helmet didn't look quite as cool but it's just a small little nitpick there wasn't that many shots of that anyway but i really like that fight sequence he had with uh wonder woman i they had maybe some like at the beginning maybe some shots where they're doing some hand-to-hand combat i wish there was a little more of that but it was still an epic battle where you know he was throwing debris at her firing energy beams it was just really cool and that moment too where uh kind of the big emotional part of the movie where steve trevor sacrifices himself to you know stop that gas from being uh detonated and just blows up gets blows himself up in that plane and diana sees it and then she just goes you know her frustration really comes out and just takes out all those German soldiers. That was another really cool action sequence before she finally faces Ares for the last time and takes him out. But all that stuff was really cool. Like I said, I love what they did with Ares having that reveal and you know, the whole the revelations that were made during that moment too, I didn't see coming either especially when she tried stabbing him and the god killer sword broke and he goes that's not the god killer you are <laughs> that's that's why you know you were the daughter of zeus for that reason and i just loved how that was a role that i wasn't expecting for wonder woman to have in the movie but i thought it worked really well in it and how he was you know the kind of unlike because i i'm gonna throw it back and compare it to the 2009 wonder woman movie the animated one which was awesome and i watched it like the weekend before this movie came out where Ares, you know he was full-blown god of war where anyone he walked by they would automatically start being aggressive start fighting each other he wouldn't have to do anything it's just that aura that he had since he was the god of war and this one uh did a little of a different way but i thought it worked because he said in the movie where you know this is just kind of mankind's nature yes i'm the god of war and i whispered things to get you know the ball rolling orchestrate things to play out how i wanted but this i didn't change men's hearts really like this is all on their end and it's kind of showing proof that points to diana where man really you know it does have some major flaws that won't just be done away with if she kills Ares. it will help but it won't get rid of it so it was just really well done and then you know how the sacrifice of Steve Trevor, and then you know he's. The, I, I liked how too was played out where he says goodbye to Diana. You can't really hear it, what he's saying right away because she's been affected by a big explosion that caused her hearing to uh, go out for a little while. But then as Ares has her trapped, and she sees Steve flying in that plane, and she you know remembers or starts making clarity of what Steve actually told her. You know, and he told her he loved her, all that, and then when he dies, that's what she really you know goes out like i said on that rant page but then kind of really takes hold of her true power of accepting you know love she got that from steve trevor and i think too with his love and seeing his sacrifice she's knowing that mankind can have that love also they just kind of have to be shown that way and that's really where she has access or gets full use of the power that she was born to have as a daughter of zeus and really just you know obviously saw it take out Ares once he has that beam and she just absorbs it into her bracelet and just fires it right back at him so that whole action sequence i thought was really good from or i shouldn't say that whole action sequence just that whole third act was good because 
the action scenes was awesome I thought the, there were some great emotional moments and the reveals that Ares gave and the whole how the story cultivated into that moment I thought worked really really well so I loved how it ended it was I thought it was a great finale yeah and I, th- I I I don't agree with the people that don't like the the final act um, I thought the message was definitely there how you know even though you kill Ares or whatever um, it won't stop war right mm-hmm. I, I thought the message was really good. Um, my only criticism, and this is probably my only criticism of the movie, is that they kind of do what Dark Knight Rises does, right? Where they set up the big bad guy, um, the general guy, and uh, he's not the big bad guy. It's this other guy who's Ares. You know that he, he's he's working not not working for, but he's like uh, you know. It's he, he's not the main bad yeah. guy. It's the other guy. And I think that's been been happening in a lot of um, superhero movies lately. Uh, and that's probably my only criticism of this movie. But with that being said, I thought, like I said, the, the, the message, you, you know, sort of w- was there. And it's, it's, it's a good message. And um, it also makes me wonder, because, I mean, they, they, they killed Steve Trevor off, right? Mm-hmm. Is, is is Steve Trevor going to be in any of the other movies? I mean, maybe as a flashback or something. I mean, I mean, what what's what's going on with Steve Trevor? And and, and that's another thing too. How it, it it wasn't really a big romantic movie, right? Mm-hmm. It, it it wasn't like this big thing where it's like, oh, you know, Diane and Steve are you know a thing now, and they fall in love, and you know all that stuff. It, it's more of a. Uh, it's it, it's it's more there to support who Wonder Woman is, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's not the main thing, you know. She she loves Steve Trevor, and you know Steve Trevor's gone now, and it, it's it's more of a subtle thing that makes Wonder Woman who she is, right? And I, I thought that was really 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 good st- storytelling because if it was anything else, it would have been, you know, uh, just a big romantic movie, and that's not necessarily what a Wonder Woman movie needs mm-hmm. and it's not what a superhero movie really needs no yeah I agree it had just the right amount of you know the little yeah. romantic touch to certain things like that moment where they're dancing and but at the same right, time they're right. getting yeah. she's just experiencing some new stuff that she hasn't experienced before on Paradise Island like the snow and the dancing and all that so that was some really good stuff but um, yeah just speaking of Steve Trevor gotta give props to Chris Prime because I thought he did a great job as steve trevor when he was cast i thought you know that is some really good casting i could see him as steve trevor right away (laughs) and he he delivered on he had some great funny lines his chemistry with gal gadot as diana a lot of those scenes was really really good and you know just how he was there for you know the purpose to you know he was on that secret mission as a spy but i really liked how they kind of said that's they hinted at anyway where this is pretty much his all, mostly that he's experienced in his life because like I said that moment where they were dancing and she was saying he asked like what do people do in times of peace and, you know you know, you know, work get married you know stuff that's normal everyday life and she goes like how is it and he says something to the effect where uh, I don't know or I've never like I'm saying I never experienced it Some, something to that effect which I thought was pretty interesting where this is pretty much most of his life has been either you know as a soldier or doing things that he's d- done as a spy so 
just kind of adds a little more to the tragedy of him sacrificing himself at the end there, which I got to say probably was a, a smart move for the story to do that because, you know, as you were talking about, if we're going to see him again in flashbacks or anything in future movies, I'm guessing no, because especially depending on where the movie took place, like if it wasn't in World War One maybe like World War II a little later, I think it would kind of would have been cool if Diana visited him like later on as kind of as an older man like she did in the Justice League animated series when they had those episodes where they went back in time to World War II and that's where she met Steve Trevor and then at the end she visits him in like one of those uh, 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 retirement homes. I thought that would have been cool to see but no, this is a ninth uh, World War One, like nineteen eighteen, I think it would took place. He'd be, you know, pushing well over a hundred. So it wouldn't make sense that way for her to see him again as an older man. So I thought it was the right move to have him sacrifice himself and just adds more weight to, you know, Diana's history. And I think too, in a way. And yeah. so yeah, Chris Pine did a great job as well as the other supporting cast members. I thought that were in their group amongst the other soldiers. Uh, I thought they worked well too. They didn't have you know too big of roles, but for the moments where they were interacting with each other, I thought they were worked really well also. And I got to say another thing about this movie that I really liked or just got me excited about. This was the first DC EU movie where, as I'm sitting in the theater for the first time, I just got really excited and pumped up that you know this movie is part of a greater shared universe that we know of because seeing that whole history of the Amazons and the Zeus and the gods and everything. I just can't think of myself. That's awesome. And yet, you know, there's the Krypton, Kryptons out there with Kryptonians and their technology and all that stuff. It's all part of the same world. And then seeing Diana interact with Steve Trevor and uh, their friends. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm blanking on their names. I can't remember everyone's name in this movie, unfortunately. Chief. Chief, there's, and, there's Sam, Chief, Chief yeah. and Samir are the only ones I really remember than the sniper guy. He's the one I can't remember his name. <laughs> oh man, what's his name? It's a it's something normal. Uh, yeah, which like like John or something. Yeah, it makes it pretty uh, dumb on my part where I can't remember it, but <laughs> uh Charlie, Charlie, I think his Was name it? is. Okay. I think. I think <laughs> I'll find out the, uh, <laughs> The uh, Scottish guy, yeah, right? Yeah. Or was he Irish? No, he was Scottish. Scottish. Yeah. Scottish. Yeah, yeah. I think his name is Charlie. Yeah. So, like, even with her interactions with them, I just thought to myself, "This is cool. She, this is her first, you know, friendship forming with a team that she's fighting with." But yet, we know later on, she's going to form the greatest friendship of her life with Batman, the Justice League. Later on, and I just that got me goosebumps thinking about that. That this is just the first step of her, you know being a hero and how much greater purpose her life's going to have later down the line when she becomes a member of the Justice League. So I just had a great, like, cool, exciting feeling moving forward for future DC movies, especially with Wonder Woman involved in it, knowing that she's going to be meeting Batman and other heroes. It was just a really cool feeling that I haven't gotten before with some of the other DC movies that I've had with, like, Marvel movies where you see an Iron Man or Captain America movie and you know, oh, it's cool that, you know... Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy is going on <laughs> somewhere out there in space and Daredevil's doing his thing. That whole connective universe feel is great and you know it's kind of unfair to 
we'll say you know the DC universe has been lacking that since there's really only three movies going in before this. So I can't really fault it for not having it because Batman v Superman was really a sequel to a Superman movie who appeared in that movie. So we're seeing him still in that one. So Wonder Woman was the first time where I felt you know it's just so cool that it's part of a bigger universe with Superman and Batman that are going to come later down the line and the Green Lantern Corps, of course, <laughs> way down the line. But I just thought, I, that, that was a feeling I haven't had before with the other DC EU movies, and I'm glad I had that after I watched this. Yeah, so so you you, you mentioned uh, Chief, you mentioned her relationship with uh, Charlie and Steve, and the, the, the one person, and probably the most important person that you've not spoken eloquently about him is uh, probably the most important character in the movie, and that's uh, Etta Candy, <laughs> uh, Steve's, uh, Steve's secretary. <laughs> she, she's probably my favorite character in this movie, too. Uh, <laughs> I could see not, why. Uh, <laughs> not Diana or Wonder Woman, uh, not, uh, um, you know, Aries or whatever, not Steve. It's Etta Candy for me. <laughs> She makes the movie. Hey, she played her role I mean, really well for what she yeah. was there to do, provide that comic relief and, you know, kind of be there for when Diana is saying, like, this is what women are expected to do in this world, which is getting dressed and all. Like, how do you fight in this thing? <laughs> so seeing her reactions and all that was, I thought, really, really good. Yeah, and I mean, I, I guess to wrap things up, right, um, that's the thing about this movie. Um, you know, it just wasn't one thing. You know, it wasn't yeah. just an action movie or a serial uh, uh, superhero movie. Um, it's kind of like a period piece. It's um, it's kind of funny, like a comedy movie. Um, and the, there's even a little romance in there, in, in the right places. And it's it's not just one thing. It's not just you know just your regular run of the mill. Uh, superhero movie and I think the fact that it's not just one thing it's it's a bunch of you know it, it's it's a collection of all these different kinds of movies um, I think it, it, it works to great effect in this movie and I think that's what you need in a superhero movie um, it's it's all of these little these these little things all these little parts that you combine into one uh one movie and um it works to great effect and it's 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 just like the dark knight right it the, the dark knight wasn't just a superhero movie it was also you know a, a mobster movie it was a bank heist movie it was it was even a drama um it's 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 all these different things and you combine them into one movie and you have a great movie you know it's it's not just one thing and i think um you know, look, looking back on this movie, I think that that's the one big thing that I'll take away from this movie. That it's just—it's not just one thing. It's you know, it's the history of one woman. It's—it's uh, it's a war movie. It's a comedy. It's a drama. It's a romantic movie. It's all these different things, and um, I think Patty Jenkins does a really good job uh, combining all of this and making a great movie. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I guess the last thing I'll comment on is how great a decision for, you know, the story of this I just love. I mean, it, like I said before, starting out the mascara and then moving into World War One, London was great in contrast visually, but even from a story standpoint, I thought it was great. 
the decision to have this set in World War One, I, I thought was just genius for you know not only not having seen that era in superhero movies too often, if not ever, um, but tied it into you know Ares and the God of War. It just makes so much sense. You're going to use you know Greek mythology and tie it in with Ares and tie it into you know real history and stuff going on in mankind. It makes perfect sense to do it in World War One as it was called then, the Great War and the War to End All Wars. Of course, that would be something that, you know, Ares would be involved in. So having that be the setting for Wonder Woman's first movie, I thought was just awesome. And it really great to have her, you know, going forward, having that be part of her history and knowing she went through that. And yeah, the story was just so good and perfect for her first solo outing. I just couldn't ask for a better story point because you got all the classic Wonder Woman origin stuff in the beginning there. The only thing missing, I guess, was, you know, the part where they have a a tournament kind of thing to see who would get to take Steve Trevor back uh, to Man's World. But this story really didn't need that. If it had it, it would have felt a little, you know, tacked on, if you ask me. I thought those scenes on the mascara were great it was at the perfect time length i thought where it didn't feel like we spent too much time there and it took forever to get going into you know the second and third act where she goes to london so i thought the pacing of it was really good too where you know they spent just the right amount of time in uh, certain areas but yeah it had the classic Wonder Woman origin story minus that you know tournament she had and then you mixed it in uh, in the world war war setting with uh, Ares in the Greek mythology and they were just all came together for a really really good story and I'm going to say it's going to add a little bit more to her scenes in Batman v Superman it's going to make those sequences even better for me because now you're going to know certain things she talks about like one of the cool lines in that movie even when I saw it the first time where Doomsday comes and Superman goes it's from another world my world and she goes I've killed things from other worlds before and we're going to think immediately to her battle with Ares and Wonder Woman now. It's just really cool that we have that uh, history to go along with her as we see her in future movies. So it was just really, really well done. Like you said, got to give all the credit in the world to Patty Jenkins and what she did with this movie. Everyone involved, Gal Gadot, Chris Pine, all the actors, screenwriters, everything. I just thought it really came together for the perfect Wonder Woman origin film. So yeah hats off to everyone involved like this is making me think as i'm reflecting on it now with patty jenkins doing such a great job remember how you know the big issue with the dceu movies getting going is directors dropping out of the projects and hiring new directors as well this was one of the earlier cases if not if i remember right maybe the first time we heard of a director dropping out and we obviously see it wasn't the end of the world because <laughs> Patty Jenkins came on and told, you know, a Wonder Woman story that was, you know, like like I said, just perfect. So it all worked out in the end. So glad she came on board and ended up doing this movie because it was definitely the right choice. So, yeah, I guess uh, to give it a score, I'm going to go ahead and give it four and a half out of five. I have just some minor nitpicks about certain action sequences. Like I said at the beginning with the one with the Amazons and the soldiers. And if anything, the action sequences are too good. I just wish they were a little longer. <laughs> I just want to see more of that stuff. But yeah, that's really nitpicking. Uh, so yeah, I thought it was great. Um, more I see it, I just have a feeling I'm just going to love it more and more. And I think it has the potential to be up there. as one of the classic superhero movies that we're ever going to get. So yeah, I thought of this too afterwards, how cool it is now that despite it taking much longer than it needed to for Wonder Woman, to get a movie the dc trinity 
each have their definitive movies now in live action. You got for me anyway. This is my personal preference. Where when I think of these three iconic her- heroes from DC, these are the movies that I'm going to go to. As yeah, these are the ones you have to see if you can only see one. Superman the movie with Christopher Reeve, The Dark Knight, and now Wonder Woman has hers with this movie. So I just think that's awesome for DC fans that the, these characters have great movies that we can go and watch now anytime we want, and that's just awesome. Yeah, for me, it's uh, it's you know definitely a four and a half out of five and um did a really really good job uh i mean like like we both said it's um if you if, if you're listening to this you haven't seen it uh definitely go see it. It, it it took a person that was really down on the you know dc movie universe and made me a believer <laughs> in what they're doing it's um it's definitely worth seeing and uh um, as for definitive movies, I'd probably say, um, I mean, of course, this one old new movie, uh, but the Superman one, definitely Superman Returns, and <laughs> Batman, definitely uh, Batman Forever. Uh, how, yeah, yours is much better than mine. How can I miss those? <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that that's it for our Wonder Woman stuff, right, Tim? Uh, or did, did you have anything else? No, I guess the only thing is we got to couple of responses on Twitter for some of our followers oh, yeah. who saw it, so uh, read those out real quickly. Uh, first off, um, we got one from the username of Wonder Woman 75 at ElusiveMan1. Uh, he just says, so good! Exclamation point. <laughs> so, and then we got one from uh, Jim Bob Squarepants at VintageGT. He says, very, very good, but not quite great. I had some issues, but all in all, a very solid and enjoyable movie. So glad it's doing well. And you know, that's the thing where not everyone's going to love it, obviously, but I've maybe just seen one person I follow on social media, and I follow a lot of people, and there's retreats and all that, tons of positivity. I've maybe just seen one person who says, you know, they generally didn't like it and just, you know, how the movie wasn't for him. But even those who, like, the most negative things I've seen are saying, yeah, I liked it, maybe didn't love it. So if that's, like, the most <laughs> complaints that the movie's having, I mean, that's awesome where you might not have enjoyed it as much as you want to, but still recognize that it is good and that they liked it a little bit. So not too much negativity going on, which again is just so nice to see for these DC movies where you don't have to have this divisive debate on it. Like we've had with man of steel, Batman v Superman and suicide squad where it has those who love it and have those who hate it. But with this, it looks like the majority is going to be those who either love it or really like it. So, which is awesome to see. Yeah, definitely. Um, I guess to to keep things on the movie side of things, unfortunately, uh, Zack Snyder had to step down from from Justice League because there was a, a family tragedy, and he decided to focus more on his family than um, uh, than than work. You know, which he definitely has a right to do, totally. right? Yeah. Uh, and it, it it seems like they finished everything with uh you know the justice league they they don't really he doesn't really have to be there um and he can focus on his family oh yeah i mean first off this was just a really bum to hear about this happening i mean uh yeah. zach snyder the tragedy was he lost his daughter to suicide which i don't know how he was able just to because in the interview with uh the Hollywood Reporter, he was saying how because he lost his daughter back in March and he thought, you know, take a little time, go back to the movie, kind of get his mind off that, just immerse himself right. in the movie. Like, I don't even know how he was able to do that. 
got to give him props for at least trying, but just realized how he couldn't do it, and he just had to fully take a step back, which, like you said, is totally understandable, and like he has every right to, and you can't blame him at all for that. So, yeah, wish nothing but the best for him and his family. It's terrible that this, he has to go through this, and yeah, I mean, talking about the status of Justice League is you know kind of a moot point when something like this happens, and I'm sure that's how he views it. As he even said, you know. You know, thinks, in the interview, I believe he said this was, you know, I believe this is a great movie, but, you know, at the end, it is just a movie, and obviously family comes first, so it's definitely a tragedy that this happened to him, but at the same time, he's doing what's best for him and his family, which, you know, is what you would expect him to do, so uh, definitely disappointing news, but again... The other news that come out of it, because there was talk, you know, is it going to be pushed back? But like you said, it is mostly done. And then it was revealed in that Hollywood Reporter article that uh, Josh Whedon is kind of take over as overseeing the post-production of it. He's going to do like shoot and direct a few reshot or reshoots that are going to happen for the movie. So everything is still going to be on track for its November release. So, uh, yeah, definitely it sucks that this had to happen for Zach as he was in the middle of this movie. But again, it looks like. Um, this movie is still going to be on track to its November release, but again, it's like feels weird even you know saying that it, yeah, it's good that right, that's happening right. because it's just such a horrible thing that happened to Zack Snyder that even if it was pushed back, I mean, there would be no reason to get mad or disappointed that it would be because you would totally understand it. So, yeah, it's just a terrible situation all around. Yeah, I mean, I definitely totally understand it, and the Justice League really doesn't. It, it, it doesn't really matter when it comes out, um, just as long as you know he gets to spend some time with his family. I mean, exactly. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's definitely the most important thing right now. Uh, but besides that, um, that's it for our news and uh, our featured topic. Um, and now we can move on to our album reviews. Uh, Tim gave me um, "Power Supply" by. Uh, is it Anamanaguchi, Tim? Yeah, I, I pronounce it Anamanaguchi. So. <laughs> Anamanaguchi. Which okay. I should stress, this wasn't the original <laughs> album I gave you to review because I don't know yeah. why Apple Music has all their albums except the one I gave you, <laughs> which is their second one called Dawn Metropolis, which is my favorite of theirs. So I was like, yeah, no, I was looking for it, and and they have a bunch of singles yeah. too. And I was going through all the singles, and I was like. Did Tim give me a single to review? <laughs> is that what he uh, wanted me to do? And I was, I was like, oh, I guess they don't have it. And he gave me this Power Supply um, uh, album. And I, I gave Tim uh, The Earth Is Not a Cold Dead Place by Explosions in the Sky. Um, so, Tim, why don't you tell us what uh, you thought? Yeah, so this album review section is a little different where we both gave each other just instrumental albums no singing or yeah. vocals on it which is a little change of pace so which i thought would be kind of cool to do so yeah explosions in the sky um this one it's i mean it's kind of weird because unfortunately it's not my favorite because i did the sound of it was good but i really thought it, the tracks kind of sounded the same there was only five tracks and they're all really long and it kind of just felt like really one just like one long song for the whole album. There wasn't much variety into it that I would have liked for something that's just an instrumental album. But the thing is, it's not a bad sound, though. It's, it is a slow-tempoed song with some... Some parts of the songs have some distortions and gets a little heavy, but for the most part, they're slow-paced with uh, kind of uh, 
not acoustic guitar, but you know, electric guitar was not too many like as distortion effects on there. So it had a good sound, but I just thought it could have used for a little more variety. Whether it's you know more a few tracks in there that were a little more fast paced, uh, quicker tempo, just to add some more variety to it. Because, like I said, I thought there was just they just sounded the same most of the songs. There's out of the five tracks, there's really only one that stood out to me as one that I thought, oh, that's you know. A, cool guitar riff is pretty catchy it was actually the first track called fire breath after coma you know it has a slow build as it starts but then the guitar riff comes in kind of about the two or three minute mark which was really catchy and it was a, kind of consistent throughout the rest of the song with that guitar some catchy guitar riff so i did like that one but after that it, like i said it all started kind of to sound pretty the same to me and at the same time it's not like a bad sound i just really couldn't get into it as far as you know having to be an album that has distinct tracks into it that gives me the variety that i was looking for so unfortunately not one of my favorites not going to go and say it's bad it just you know wanted a little more uh, variety on it so i'm going to give the earth is not a cold dead place by explosion in the sky uh two and a half out of five yeah and um you know, Tim, we shouldn't do this again. <laughs> because, um, yeah, I, it, this kind of wasn't my favorite album, Tim. Uh, like you, the, all the songs kind of sounded the same. It was more of a... Um, it, it, it reminded me of the Mega Man 8, uh, Mega Man 8 soundtrack. I think, I think that was the one I played for, uh, on PlayStation. Uh, right when I got my PlayStation, um, there, um, there's not really that much variation to it. If you if you've played a Mario game or a Mega Man game, or um, even like uh, uh, Marvel Marvel versus Capcom, it th- that's the kind of music that they make. Um, there there wasn't really any sort of track that stuck out to me. Uh, maybe the second or third song on on this album uh but besides that nothing really stuck out with me it was kind of the same thing over and over again um i know they tried to make it you know uh make it their own thing uh not not so basic not so mega man sounding but uh that that definitely um is what i got from this album it's just a nice um sort of reminiscing about Mega Man 8 when I first got my PlayStation. That's uh, that's kind of what I got from it. So, uh, yeah, let's never do this uh, instrumental stuff. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny um, for Anamanaguchi, I really like their stuff because you said the key word right there, reminiscing. It just takes me back to, yeah. you know, because they even use an actual NES system to produce some of the sounds they have on that and i just love the 8-bit era of video game music and when i heard them kind of mix it in with a little rock and electronic style i thought it was sounded really cool and it just takes me back to those uh, days as a kid playing the nes and 
you know having so much fun there's just certain songs by Yanamona Gucci that just brings a smile to my face because it takes me back to those days of playing classic 8-bit uh, Nintendo systems uh, or Nintendo games and I know that sound's not going to be for everybody it's going to be you know for those mainly who are into video games so yeah that's why I really like their sound and style it takes me back to those 8-bit days so yeah you, the key word that you said they're reminiscing I totally get what you mean by there because that's where it does take me back when I listen to them yeah, and it 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 made me wonder like uh when when I first got my PlayStation, the the original PlayStation, um I, I was just wondering like it was Mega Man 8 a uh, a good game? Like or was it am I thinking that it was because that was the first game I got when I got my PlayStation. That's funny. Mega Man 8 was always a game I wanted to get on the PlayStation, but I just never did yeah. <laughs> for whatever reason. <laughs> I remember it had like the the uh, full like cutscenes. Yeah, like there, there was actual it was like anime cutscenes. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Like um, like anime cutscenes. Uh, I remember like uh, you you have to go investigate like a meteorite or something, meteor or something <laughs> that crashed land or that you know landed on an island or something. Um, but I was just wondering, like, was that a good game, or was it because I uh, that that was the first game I got for the PlayStation? <laughs> kind of like, uh, um, I don't know if you remember, but you, you remember when the N sixty four came out? Uh-huh. Uh, there, there was that. Uh, oh, what was that? The the jet ski game, oh, wave racing race. game, Wave yeah. Race, yeah. Uh, I saw I saw that on uh, uh, YouTube, and I was watching it. And I was like, back when I got my N sixty four, this was the coolest game. This was the best game, and now it it looks so boring. <laughs> it's the same thing over and over again. Well, I think it, so. I haven't played it in a while, but I know it's still kind of regarded yeah. as a really good, fun racing game at its time. Especially, yeah. I know visually it doesn't probably hold up very well, but uh, the gameplay wise. Uh, the controls probably might feel a little weird now, yeah. but uh, I think it's still regarded as you know a good game. Yeah, it it, it also made me think about um, now what was the game? I can't remember if it came out for GameCube or uh, something else, but uh, it was a uh, uh, you were in like a taxi. Oh, uh, and you had to go crazy taxi! Crazy taxi! It makes me wonder about that game because I remember loving that game. I wonder if, like, I played it right now, mm. how good it would be. I, th- I think it's one of those games I'll probably get a little repetitive, <laughs> probably yeah. not too long after you play it. Because if, if if I remember correctly, your whole thing is to just go around and uh, make money in your taxi. Yeah, right? it's find people calling for a taxi, deliver them to the location, and you know, right. quick amount of time. I think the faster you do it, the more money you get. <laughs> they even made a yeah, Simpson so- game based off that. Really? Yeah, it's called Simpsons for, for, Hit and for Run. Sega. It was the Sega Genesis. No, it was for uh, PS2, GameCube, Xbox. Oh, and it's the, it's essentially the yeah, same thing. Like you pick up. I didn't play too much Crazy Cat Taxi, but I did play that Simpsons Hit and Run. <laughs> <laughs> you know a lot. Like uh, another game you played a lot probably was uh, uh, Superman uh, sixty four. Uh, Got to bring that up again, Dean. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's like, uh, 
that, that that's like my favorite story of yours. <laughs> <laughs> you just liked hearing me throw money down the toilet. Huh? Yeah, and I I said previously on another podcast that my first N64 game was Goldeneye. It wasn't Goldeneye. It was uh, 1080. You remember okay, the snowboarding? Yeah, I like that one. I played that one a lot. Yeah, me too. I mean, that that was the first game that I got because it came with the N64. It was when they, they started to package games with systems. Okay. And Yeah, yeah. So, like, that, that was the first game that I got, uh, 1080. I remember I could never do the 1080. <laughs> I think I did it maybe once. It took me forever just to figure out how to do some good tricks and get <laughs> some high scores on that half-pipe course. But yeah, once I did, I, it was I a lot of fun. I had to go on uh, AOL, right? <laughs> this was back during the AOL uh, days where um, it was dial-up internet, right? And I had to figure out like how to um, do the 1080. I just couldn't do it. Who <laughs> uh, was your uh, snowboarder? I think I could still remember some of their names. I, I cannot even remember. I, I would have to look that up. I think I remember two of their names. There was a guy, I think his name was Rob Hayward, as the announcer would say, <laughs> where he's like the uh, the typical, uh-huh. like, kind of like the surfer cool guy with sunglasses, blonde hair. Hold on, I'm looking it up right now. And then I think the guy, like the main character, like on the game cover or, or like the one that plays on the demo screen, Kensuke Kemachi. <laughs> like the beanie <laughs> on his head. Yeah, I can't remember any of these guys. <laughs> I don't know why I remember that. <laughs> I think it's just how the, the announcers said their nails when they stuck out at me. <laughs> and I remember um, me and my cousin got into a fight because um, you remember the old like split screen? Mm-hmm. It used to be one on yep. the top and one on the bottom. I remember like we got into a fight because we uh, he said that he had won, um, you know, racing me. And I said, I won because I was the, the first player, which is the top screen, right? Uh, second player is the bottom screen. And he was looking at my screen. <laughs> oh, man. Playing it. <laughs> and he was, like, bang, banging into, you know how they had those boards, the um, advertising yeah. boards or whatever? Yeah, and he thought he had won, was and I was the bottom. <laughs> like, the bottom screen was just the snowboarder just stuck, like, standing yeah, in front yeah, of the billboard. <laughs> Yeah, it was like one of those advertising boards or whatever you call them. <laughs> oh, that's funny. <laughs> I love that game, uh, though. That, that was a great game. Ah, uh, split-screen uh, gaming. There's still some fun to be had with those, I think. <laughs> I mean, the first one was the very first Mario Kart on the Super Nintendo where I got to play split-screen. I was like, oh, man, this is the best thing ever. We're playing at the same time, but yet, you know, we're on different yeah. screens. This is blowing my mind. <laughs> <laughs> that was vertical, right? The um, Mario Kart. That was a vertical um, split screen, mm-hmm. or was that uh, sideways? No, it was vertical. Oh, well, I see. Man, Mario Kart. I haven't played that in a long time. <laughs> or or uh, Super Smash Brothers. Ah, uh, Smash Brothers. I haven't Brothers. played that in a long time. So much fun. That game was, even the original 64 one is still so much fun. That That's the reason why I bought a GameCube, was to play uh, Super Smash Brothers. <laughs> Now that I'm um, thinking about it, I think actually Mario Kart might have been horizontal on the split screen. Really? I'm pretty sure. Hmm. It's been so long because since I, I played it. Cause, yeah. yeah, I'm pretty sure, yeah, because you had one on the top, one on the bottom. Yeah, I think it was horizontal. Hmm. Yeah, because I don't even remember. 
I know most sometimes the game's gonna you can choose like how you want the split screen to do. For, for yeah, games that still yeah. have split screen. <laughs> like that's becoming such a rare thing now. Yeah, I wonder if any games do yeah. that now. And... Yeah, is there any game besides the than uh, Nintendo? Battlefront actually has it. There's like a mode where really? you can do some co op missions just on split screen for they like, could play offline. I think that's vertical. Oh, there's, there, there's offline missions? Yeah, like kind of survival or even some of the multiplayer modes you can do a split screen with playing against some bots. Oh, I see. You don't hear too much about that game anymore. I remember when it came out, everybody was like, you know, it tells the story of you know what happened before uh, Episode 7. I think that's what everyone like, hoped guess, for, but... <laughs> no, it... it it was just pretty much like a an arcade game. Just yeah, a straight multiplayer. But Battlefront Two, yeah. that's gonna tell a story that takes place before episodes of it. Oh, I can't wait. For there's that. a there's a single player campaign on that, right? Yeah, which a lot of people wanted for the first one. Yeah, why didn't they do that? Rushed. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was got thinking. to get it out before the Force Awakens that. came out. So, so that uh, Battlefront is is kind of like you don't. It's not like you level up your character, right? It's more like a um, you you just pick like a specialty guy. Well, like you level you up, like a, but not for a particular character. You just kind of level up your player profile, account. I guess. Yeah. So, but Battlefront Two is going to have character classes. The other one didn't, which should be pretty interesting. Kind of going back to the old Battlefront ways. You still play that? Uh, not a, not regularly anymore. I've got other games oh. I have to play. No, oh, that's a. It's uninstalled. I finally beat Zelda Breath of the Wild two weeks ago. So finally, <laughs> really? Yeah, uh, that game was great. It was was it? Oh, no good. Uh, I will say the ending was a little disappointing, especially compared to other Zelda games. That I don't know. Yeah, didn't much really didn't happen afterwards, so it was a little disappointing. But the game itself was just so 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 good. But uh, speaking of games, too, I should mention this as well. Where I'm playing Injustice. Because after I beat Zelda, I kind of went played so much of Injustice. That's what I'm playing right now, and that game yeah. is so so good. The story mode on it, I mean, it's almost like with the Justice League movie coming out in November, but with Injustice out now, it's almost like we're getting two Justice League movies because the story mode was really really good, and the graphics are amazing on it. <laughs> They're just really really good. So yeah, did you did you play? Um... Have you played any of the Mortal Kombat? No, like Injustice, or actually before Injustice One, yeah. there was Mortal Kombat versus DC, which was kind of my first exposure to Mortal Kombat games because I've yeah. always been a Street Fighter Tekken guy. So, oh, I see. Yeah, but because I was wondering if the story mode in Injustice was kind of like that, where like um, you you make your way up the um, the ladder or whatever, and then. Every 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 once in a while, there'd be a cutscene. No, it's not like that. It's just it's not where you have a ladder climb where you. But yeah. the structure is kind of like that. They just don't have a menu that shows it. I mean, each chapter you're different. Oh, I see. You're different characters yeah. for that specific chapter, but it's telling you know one big story with a lot of cutscenes in it. Oh, I see. So so it's it actually tells a story. It's not like oh now you have to face blah 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 yeah yeah it's a full blown story that goes on to it and it's really really good that's the deal with you know Supergirl coming to uh, being you know exposed for the first time as far as you know making herself known to the public and other heroes you got Brainiac attacking 
uh, Earth while Superman still being held captive by Batman yeah. for what he did in the first game. So there's a lot of cool stuff, and there's a lot of DC geek out moments that you'll have playing it too. Is there like uh, finishing moves and stuff? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not oh. not as complicated as Mortal Kombat. We have to do a bunch of different yeah. combo combinations to do it. You have a power okay. meter, and when it's full, all you do is just hit the two trigger buttons, and it activates your special like super attack. And a lot of them are really oh, really cool. <laughs> Oh, well, I, guess, I mean, I guess it's like any fighting game, right? Oh, uh-huh, yeah. The, it's really fun. The controls are yeah. they're tight. Their moves are... It's like one of those games that's easy to learn, difficult to master, to become really, really good. So yeah. it's really good. Uh, if you like Mortal Kombat games, I think you're, you'll love this one because I'm pretty sure the fighting mechanics are, if not the same, pretty similar to Mortal Kombat being from the same developers. Did you... Um, or do you, do you play with... Uh... Uh, um, controller, or do you play with the? Uh, I know they sell those those small little arcade yeah. uh, uh, stick and the uh, the buttons, the AV buttons. Yeah, those aren't for me. I just stick Whatever. with the controllers. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> the Xbox controller isn't the best for fighting games, but it, yeah, it, I make do with it. <laughs> <laughs> Which reminds me, like I, I seen a YouTube video of. No, I, I I didn't know this goes on. I didn't know that that there was actual competitions. But for, you, you know, for like Street Fighter and Tekken, mm. and I know there's the new Tekken out, so this this might be a thing. But um, there's actual competitions where where like they they have like that little board thing. Oh yeah, it's like, that's a big deal. I know. Buttons. For it's a big community, the fighting game community, where they have tournaments like that. I think a big one's called Evo. Yeah. Where I I had no idea that. It, it was actually competitive. It's like an eSport. eSport yeah. is the, the word for it. I I had no idea. And, like, people are super into it. And, they're like, they're, they're like, cheering on, like, their favorite um, uh, player and stuff. And I, I, I had no idea. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. Like, no matter how good I do, like, in a fighting game, like, a certain night or something, if I think I'm good, I know I'd get my butt kicked real quick by those kind of players <laughs> if I were able to play them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I mean, back when arcades were a big thing, I mean, you would be troubled to find an arcade today. I know, but um, oh, I I remember spent so many quarters playing Street Fighter <laughs> Two. <laughs> yeah, no I, idea. I spent so many quarters playing Marvel versus Capcom, <laughs> uh, losing <laughs> against people. <laughs> Marvel versus Capcom must be at least. You know, two hundred dollars worth of quarters. Yeah, well, easily. The two games I played so much at the arcade were Street Fighter Two and uh, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles arcade game. They had really? both of those at a local supermarket. My mom always went to. Once you go, to always go play those games. <laughs> it was so much fun. And there used to always be one guy that uh, used to just be sitting there on that game, yeah. and you would play it, and you would just you, you wouldn't even have a chance. I mean that that guy was so good. I don't know. He, he he must have been there since like the the arcade opened till it closed. Like just just staying there, you know. It's it's funny. Uh, I might have told you this story before, but like during the heyday of Street Fighter Two at the arcade, there would be people like that just who were dominating. You want to beat him, but then yeah, you know, my little brother who was about six at the time, you know, he just wanted to play. He had no idea what to do, combos and all that. He'd <laughs> go on there. You know, the guys he would play and would let him, you know, get a few hits in, being kind of nice, and then he'd take him out, you know, 
before he got close to dying. But a few times, my brother would just be smashing buttons, and he wouldn't be able to beat my little <laughs> brother. <laughs> and he would just beat the guy like, like, oh shoot, I got to start playing for real. But it'd be too late. <laughs> my brother would beat <laughs> the person who was unbeatable <laughs> that day. It was funny when that happened. He <laughs> just used to press the grand button yeah. to beat the guy. Yeah. <laughs> it was funny. <laughs> That, I the guy would get crap for like his friends or whatnot, <laughs> or not be able to beat a six-year-old. I remember, uh, again, going on the old AOL.com <laughs> internet, right, and finding all these combinations for like Venom and you know all these other characters, uh, right, and then writing writing them down on a piece of paper, on a piece of uh, you know notebook paper. And taking it to the arcade and putting it down in front of me. Oh, wow. It's still losing. Well, that'd be hard to do. You got to look at the screen and then look at your notes to see how to do exactly. it. <laughs> exactly. But I, it didn't go through my mind that while I was looking down and, okay, now I got to go left, I got to press A, I got to go right, I got to press B or whatever, right? That I was taking my eyes off of the screen and... Yeah, that that's why I, part of the reason why I was doing it. The, the other reason why was because I I was just terrible at that game. Um, I will say you know, was, I'm much better with console controls and arcade sticks, which is why I don't ever buy those you know additional add-ons they have for consoles. Yeah. I'll do worse with them. Yeah, and plus two, you know, with, with with the arcade game, it's 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 more on like you got to be fast mm-hmm. and you got to get your timing right. Whereas uh, the controller, it's not it's not so so much of a thing right yeah I'll tell you the best controller ever the super nintendo one i i would have knights on street fighter i would just dominate everybody <laughs> i'd be unbeatable <laughs> with my brothers and friends we'd have over for like game nights and stuff like that the whole night would go by where nobody would beat me <laughs> like i just want that controller to be adaptable for every system so i can use it. <laughs> or what you can do is you can just Give away your Xbox, give away your PS4, give give away uh, your Nintendo Switch, and just you know what? I'm playing the the Super NES for the rest of my life. You know what? That's gonna be the thing. If I was stuck with that, I wouldn't be too you know upset about it. <laughs> That's the greatest console <laughs> ever. Yeah, I might miss a few great new games, but there'd be plenty of old ones I wouldn't mind revisiting and playing all over again. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I love the Super Nintendo. Now the the Super Nintendo the controller that was that was four buttons. Uh huh. Yeah. Well, four main buttons. Then you had the two shoulder buttons. Oh yeah, two shoulder buttons. Which, well, I remember and, seeing and that, that for the first time. Like, whoa, what's the shoulder buttons? What are these for? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was, the, it was the same thing with me and the N sixty four. I was like, how am I going to use yeah, this? Yeah. I, like, I remember I was holding it wrong the first time I put my hands on an N sixty four controller. I was like, no, you're not supposed to hold it that way. Holding the two outside ones. Yeah, I have like instead of gripping it on the grip, I would have my hand yeah. like over where the D pad was, and just have like my thumb on the joystick in the middle. Like it was just oh. weird. <laughs> like this doesn't feel right. Like yeah, because you're not holding it right. Well, plus, see, that wasn't the best controller. Yeah, I mean, I know I, I know a lot of people like it, but for me, that it, it it wasn't so much the the joystick part part. It was the the D pad part because you would have to mo- move your hand. Yeah use the d-pad that's why you rarely used it yeah yeah i mean like i think you know uh, xbox and ps4 figured it out where you gotta have two you know could uh places where you put your hands right yeah two joysticks. and then you gotta and, and then you gotta make your the um 
the the joysticks and the d-pad reachable without moving your hand right yep. so yeah that would, that, that's not a great controller no it, i mean i don't know why people like it, it but and i remember i went through a lot of controllers. the joystick would always like get really loose and you wouldn't be able to play it a lot. I've got so many controllers for the N64. Of course, we wanted four so we could play multiplayer, but a lot of them busted yeah. too. <laughs> really? Yeah, because yeah, I never really had a problem. I remember the only reason why I bought another controller was because um, it, it was yellow. Mm-hmm. Like, I bought the yellow controller <laughs> and that was like the, <laughs> the only other controller that I had. Hmm. Well, I mean, I guess that's our long, <laughs> our long uh, reminiscing part of the podcast. Yeah, the good old <laughs> days of video gaming. <laughs> yeah, yeah, about uh, old N sixty four controllers. Good times. But anyway, though. good times. Uh, so I guess I got to give my rating. Oh yeah. <laughs> hey, you got to give Anamanaguchi credit for that. They made us reminisce yeah, about some good I times mean, playing video games. <laughs> so, so that's why I give it two two out of five stars. There you go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was a long album. Bro, I forgot for... we were even still on that. I forgot you had a gamer score for I was it. Like, Wait, why are we talking about N sixty four and old old controllers and games and going to the arcade? Uh, but anyway, uh, yeah, that, that's our album reviews section for this this podcast, and now we can uh, move on to um, uh, Jordan's email. Uh, yes, and Jordan starts it off saying, "Hey Tim and Dane and Alex, well guys, I went and saw Wonder Woman last night, and it was wonderful." I don't know if you guys will have seen it by the time you record, so I'm going to keep my thoughts in this episode spoiler-free. It is such a great origin film for the character. It is exhilarating, funny, and dramatic. Gal Gadot and Chris Pine each deliver phenomenal performances in their respective roles, and they have great chemistry with one another that comes through both in serious and comedic moments. The mascara is gorgeous, and the time we spend on it is incredible. When the film moves to war, it becomes a gritty war drama, which contrasts so well with Diana's upbringing on the mascara and further illustrates her struggles to take in man's world. There are other great supporting characters in the film. I love uh, Saeed Tagamoy, I'm probably screwing his name up, but as Samir and the villainous, creepy Dr. Poison, played by Elena Anya. You know, that's true, we did talk about Dr. Poison. She didn't have a huge role, but, you know, I thought she was effective for the amount of screen time that she had and her purpose in the movie. And I loved her visual look, too, having, you know, her face was scarred but covered up with some, you know, like clay. Uh, molding on her face. I thought visually she looked cool. So, yeah, she was a nice little aspect to the movie, I thought, as well. I kind of forgot about her, too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, the movie, the, I mean, until we get to Ares, it wasn't really too villain-based, you know, but it, it didn't need to be. It was just all about Diana and her journey with Steve Trevor. So, And I just thought the threat of war in Ares was present throughout the whole film, which served as the villain. Kind of almost like the Eye of Sauron type thing where you know the presence is there but you you don't necessarily see them a lot so but i thought it worked well yeah and that's one thing i had a problem with with um with lord of the rings is like so so all they had to do was destroy the ring Mm -hmm. to kill sauron yeah that's all they had to do and that's your problem (laughs) Yeah, it's like, <laughs> but there is so much more that you know. It wasn't an easy task to destroy that ring. Like, even in the fellowship, you yeah, can't I just mean, smash it with a hammer, like Gimli tried to do. 
Well, I mean, I guess it's like, you know, the journey was the story. Exactly, sort of yes. Right? Yeah. And the the whole uh, Aragon thing where there's like a big war and stuff. Yep. Reclaiming his birthright as king, there's all that, yeah. So it's just more like, oh, just got to throw this in here and the big bad, bad guy's well, dead. That's the thing that sets everything in motion. So what happens to all of the orc guys after that ha- that's, that happens? They kind of, if I remember right, because they don't just die when the ring gets destroyed. They right. kind of scatter off right. and just go into hiding. Maybe they, I'm sure some of them get hunted down and stuff. And if they even try to make trouble, there won't be that many of them left. So I think this kind of went to hiding and slowly got wiped out. No, I see. And, and and those those guys on that those flying things, uh, I forgot the ring race. Oh, or the Nazgul. Right? Yeah, Nazgul. Those guys just the, sort of find a place. No, they like, die once the ring got destroyed because they're pretty much being in oh. existence because of the ring. <laughs> so once the ring goes, they die. Oh, I see. Well, technically, see. you know, they just stop existing because the Zorgan says they're neither living nor dead, so <laughs> there's somewhere in between, but they don't exist anymore. Oh. Yeah, yeah, that, that was kind of my problem with uh, Lord of the Rings where it's just like, okay, we are done with this. Now you see Dean, or uh, Dean. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, Dane, you're wrong, because Lord of the Rings has no problems. <laughs> it was about the journey. Exactly. Okay. <laughs> But uh, Jordan continues saying, this is the first DCEU film about which I actually agree with most critics, and it's nice for that to finally be the case. Tomorrow, Saturday, June 3rd, as of I'm writing this, is Wonder Woman Day, so I'm hoping to see it again then, and after go to a couple of Wonder Woman Day events to pick up some free comics and prizes. Happy Wonder Woman Day to you guys. Well, thanks, Jordan. And I guess spending Wonder Woman Day talking about the awesome movie is, you know, not a bad way to celebrate Wonder Woman <laughs> on her special day. And it's good they coordinated it to have it be the same weekend of the release of her big movie, so it wasn't just some random day like we talked about before that Batman Day can be sometimes. <laughs> but Jordan continues saying, so with the Hulu account that I created... Oh, wait, Tim. Oh, Tim, I just... <laughs> I was just catching up with uh, reading his email. Uh, Jordan, are you all about the free stuff? Yeah. <laughs> hey, free comic book day. <laughs> and free um, Wonder Woman comics. Hey, if they're giving them out, why not take advantage of Might it? Might as well. Yeah. yeah, I mean, this isn't a criticism of you, Jordan. I'm, I'm right there with you, man. Hey, uh, free comic books and free uh, Wonder Woman comics. If anything, we're the morons not taking advantage of it. So. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, especially with me, like... I think on Wonder Woman they're giving away some of the rebirth stuff. I was like, I can't wait that long to get it. I gotta get it when it first comes out. But <laughs> if you're patient and you can wait, yeah, it's a much better scenario for you to get them for free. Free comic books, definitely. But he says, so with the Hulu account that I created to watch Batman and Bill, I started watching Smallville. I'm only eight episodes in, but I love this so so much so far. Michael Rosenbaum is the live action Lex Luthor that I've always wanted. I feel like previous live-action inter- interpretations haven't captured the cool, sly businessman that I love from most of the versions of Lex in comics and animation. I really like Gene ha- Hackman's Lex, but he was mostly just played for last. I think Kevin Spacey captured the cool and sly Lex that I wanted in certain scenes, but then other times it felt like he was just trying to act like Hackman's Lex. I was very impressed by Jesse Eisenberg's Lex. 
He was a very different take on the character, but I thought he was a more formidable villain than Hackman or Spacey's portrayals. However, that version still isn't exactly what I would have uh, most wanted to see. I feel like it's a little too early to definitively say that Rosenbaum's Lex is my favorite live-action portrayal of the character, especially since he's still pretty uh, benevolent at this point in the show. But if he keeps it up, he's likely to become my favorite. Well, maybe a minor spoiler here, Jordan, for Smallville, but I think you can already say that Michael Rosenbaum is the best Lex (laughs) in live-action because... As the seasons go on, he only just gets better and better and better. So go ahead and start calling him the definitive best Lex Luthor, because right now he is for me, too. <laughs> so so is he in every episode of Smallville? Yeah. Uh, I mean, he's like throughout? Uh-huh, yeah, in the early, especially in the early seasons, yeah. He, oh, yeah, he was one yeah. of the main cast members. And, and what happens to, um, I forget her name, uh... Oh, Tim. Uh, Chloe. Uh, is it Chloe? Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, Chloe. Well, what happens to her at the end? Well, if you want, I could tell you afterwards because Jordan's just getting into it. I don't want to oh, spoil right, it. Right, right, right. So. <laughs> <laughs> but if you're still dying to know, Dane, I'll be happy to tell you. <laughs> okay. Once we're done recording, I'm probably going to forget. I know. But that's okay. <laughs> um, he says, I do sometimes hear Wally West when he talks, though. And yeah, that's funny you mentioned that because when I first started watching Smallville, and well, his voice sounds familiar. I think it sounds like the Flash. Does he do his voice too? <laughs> sure enough, he uh, he did. I found out Michael Rosenbaum was the same actor who did Flash's voice, which I think just adds to the coolness that he got to play Flash and Lex Luthor. <laughs> so, so he shaved his head for ten years. I think we've been over this, mm. but just as a reminder, <laughs> which I'm sure he, he was head for- happy to stop doing once he was done with the show. <laughs> No, no, no. Like, like I mean, he, he, he's not bald. No, he's right? definitely not bald. So he shaved his head for ten years. Yeah, yes, he did. <laughs> wow. That, now that's wow. commitment right there. <laughs> yeah, I know. He, he deserves, he, he deserves a, a Emmy for that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure during the off time they weren't filming, he let his hair grow out. I'm sure, he didn't get recognized too much, which maybe would have been nice. Yeah. <laughs> he could just walk wherever he wanted to go. <laughs> And Jordan continues saying, from episode one, I have been 100% invested in Clark and Lana. At this point, I'm like, can we get this jerk football player out of the way so they can finally kiss already? Anyway, I guess the wait will make it even better when they inevitably do. They are so perfect together. Their scenes together make up a lot of the highlights of the show for me at, to this point, especially the one where Clark makes a makeshift drive in a movie theater for her own birthday. Well... Like, again, don't want to spoil anything for you, Jordan, but let's just say I'll be curious to hear if you still feel that way once you get to, like, season six or seven. So <laughs> just throwing that out there. Uh-oh. Um, and, and am I mistaken in saying that Clark's bedroom is the barn? Um, no, it's not his bedroom. It's just kind of like his loft hangout area where he goes to oh, a lot. Where so. he, he goes to think about things. Yeah, and look, right? look at his telescope. Oh, he has a telescope. Uh, yeah, that's a, that's a lot of time doing that, I know, in the early seasons. Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. Uh, Lana has that kryptonite necklace, right? Yeah. And she has that throughout the entire, or her entire run? I'm not, I know I don't remember if something happens to it. I'm not sure. So, Alvin Clark... Yeah. You see... This is what happens when you only listen to... I mean, when you only watch one episode, yeah. right? Yeah. The pilot. Um, yeah, the pilot, yeah. Uh, 
and the one with, with uh, Christopher Reeve. I, I watched that one. Well, that was an awesome one. Um, so she has that pendant, right? The the necklace. Yeah. So Clark can't be within like hundred feet from her, otherwise he'll start like you know having the effects yeah, of getting weak like, and all that. So all she has to do is take off that necklace, and they can be together. Yeah, but then again, he's not going to tell her why, especially in the early seasons. You know, well, I'm oh. an alien, and <laughs> this makes me weak and all that. So that was yeah, yeah. going to do anything I, about it. I mean, like, he, he, he could say, like, oh, you know, it's kind of like a food allergy, you know? Like, you're the, not, not the kryptonite. He does, yeah, he does. The, the gold on the... Yeah. He does refer you to know, it that, as being allergic. I think he, he might actually yeah. say that about the necklace. Like, again, it's been so long since I've seen those early episodes, so... <laughs> Maybe he does later on, but I can't remember. Oh, I see. He continues saying, I think that the villains have been pretty interesting so far. However, one of my complaints of the show is that I think every episode so far has involved Clark getting into contact with Kryptonite, often as a result of the villain. There have been some really awesome guest stars already, like Lois Lane, I mean Amy Adams. You know, I forgot she was in that first season. <laughs> it's kind of she cool. Was. Yeah. She was. Yeah, she... <laughs> not, not, now I have to watch it. I want to see Amy Adams as a character that's not I think she was, Lois Lane. She was playing a character like uh, something to do with like she was eating way too much and like part of the kryptonite effect caused that to be even worse. Something to what? that effect. Yeah, something <laughs> crazy like that if I remember right. <laughs> okay. I I I gotta yeah. see that. I mean, I, <laughs> Yeah, just type in Amy Adams Smallville see what episode it is and then just watch that episode. <laughs> Uh, yeah, he says, like, Amy Adams, Lizzie Kaplan, and Tony Todd. Also, can I just say that Annette O'Toole is great legacy casting? The show also reminds me quite a bit of my all-time favorite Superman comic, Superman for All Seasons. Anyway, I'm enjoying it so much. So That's also my favorite uh, Superman comic, Superman for All Seasons. Yeah, and Annette O'Toole, is, it is great they got her to play uh, Clark's mom or Martha Kent after she played Lon in Superman 3. That was really cool. And as yeah. far as your uh, complaint about every episode of being involved with Clark and in contact with Kryptonite, um, again, don't want to spoil stuff, but it doesn't get that aspect of the show doesn't get much better as it goes on. <laughs> so, expect a lot more of that, Jordan. <laughs> it kind of gets pretty frustrating, but I'm glad you're enjoying the first season. I mean, the first few seasons of Smallville, I remember being really, really great. So. Uh, again, keep letting us know what you think of it as you make it through your way through each season. I'll be curious to hear uh, what you think, if you still have the same enthusiasm for it, if you're still enjoying it, or you enjoy it even more as it goes on, or not as much. So, yeah, definitely keep us updated as you make your way through Smallville. And he continues saying, well, this is a Batman podcast, and so far in this email, I've only talked about the two other members of the Trinity, so I should probably get to the Dark Knight now. I'm ready to dive into some comics. The Flash number 22 was really was a really good end to the button crossover, in my opinion. Spoilers, I love the way Reverse Flash taunts the Flash at the beginning, telling him all the things he'll do once he gains the power he thinks he will from finding Dr. Manhattan. I really got to give credit uh, to Howard Porter for his art when Reverse Flash finally does meet Dr. Manhattan. The way he shows the fear in Reverse Flash's eyes is very well done. Jay Garrick's re-emergence was a lot of fun. It wasn't as an emotional or as emotional as when Wally West returned in the DC Rebirth one shot, but it was still great to see him back. 
When Bruce and Barry are at the graveyard at the end of the issue, I appreciate seeing their difference in perspective on being able to see their parents again. Bruce sees it as cruel, but Barry sees it as a gift. Jeff Johns said in his interview with Aaron Sagers at Sci-Fi Wire about Doomsday Clock that Dr. Manhattan's intention behind allowing Bruce to see his father was to get Bruce out of the way. That's, that is what gets hinted at the end of The Flash 22 when Bruce ponders not answering the bat signal. However, we have two more issues where we, he seems to still be donning the costume. There is issue 23, which I'm about to write about, and then issue 24, before we get to the War of Jokes and Riddles, which takes place in the past and therefore isn't affected by Bruce meeting his father. Perhaps issue 24 will further explore what Bruce decides to do following his encounter with his father, as issue 23 does not. The reveal of Dr. Manhattan at the end of, the, at the end of Flash 22 was awesome. I'll admit that I was hoping we'd actually get to see his face, but what we did get was still great. I love that they actually pulled a quote from Watchmen for it as well. Of course, then we get the tease for Doomsday Clock, which I am so pumped for. Yeah, so glad you enjoyed the button crossover like I did, Alex. I thought it wrapped up really nicely in the Flash 22. And yeah, Doomsday Clock can't get here soon enough. You mean Jordan. Did I say Alex? Yeah. Uh, I'm I'm sorry, Jordan. (laughs) See, I just miss Alex's email, so I I just wish we had one for him. So I I apologize, Jordan. (laughs) He goes, I love Batman 23 so much. Spoilers, first off, it was great to have uh, Mitch Jarrods back at the title again. He drew issues 14 and 15, my two favorite, or my two very favorite issues, and he continues his great work here. At the crime scene of Lloyd McGrin's murder, we get a pretty funny scene with Batman and Commissioner Gordon, where Commissioner Gordon is completely freaked out by Swamp Thing popping up behind him. But Batman is completely unfazed. It was just an awesome Batman moment. It was also really funny to see Alfred cleaning up the mess that Swamp Thing made coming through Wayne Manor. We get to see Kite Man. Man, does King seem to love him. Then we get another funny interaction between Batman and Swamp Thing in the Batmobile. Anyway, I'm pointing out all these funny moments out because to this, uh, because to this point in the issue, it felt like this was just a fun adventure teaming up two characters would seldom interact. Yes, there were some more serious parts at some point, such as Swamp Things uh, telling Bruce about his father and explaining his thoughts on life and death, but mostly it seemed like a light, light-hearted team-up in the vein of the comic book and animated series that the title of the issue is a near riff on, Brave and the Bold. I believe this one, the issue was called Brave and the Mold, <laughs> if I'm remembering right. However, then we get to the end of the story, and man, did this get emotional. Batman and Swamp Thing track down Headhunter, and after Headhunter explains how and why he killed Swamp Thing's father, Swamp Thing kills him as Batman yells at him to stop. This was pretty shocking to me, as Swamp Thing kills Headhunter pretty brutally and without hesitation. Swamp Thing apparently had a much stronger connection to his father than he had originally said, as the song his father was singing when he was killed was one he sang to Alec as a child. It was really heartbreaking to see Swamp Thing break down about that. Batman was furious about Swamp Thing killing Headhunter, and at first, you're led to believe it's just because Swamp Thing essentially tricked Batman into helping him track down someone to kill, which makes sense for Batman to take issue with, given his typical aversion to killing. But then you realize it's much deeper than that. Swamp Thing had told Batman earlier in the issue about his belief that life and death are the same, that they just change. Batman apparently took solace in that with regards to his own parents, and then Swamp Thing gets revenge on Headhunter for killing his father. It makes Batman feel as though Swamp Thing didn't really believe what he had told Batman. It was pretty devastating to see Batman lose that reassurance about his parents as he watched Swamp Thing's leave. Anyway, it was just a really moving and powerful end to that issue. I did not see coming, and I loved it. 
one of the things I like most about King's run on Batman is that he shows Batman as vulnerable and human, while still portraying Batman as strong and powerful. It's a tough thing to do, but King pulls it off very well, and it's a full it's on full display in this issue. Yeah, I, I remember when I reviewed it last episode, I gave it about three or three and a half. But the more you know, especially in your uh, review and description of it here, Jordan, hearing other people talk about it on social media, this made me appreciate it more. Like, oh, it was more than just a one-off team-up issue of Batman and Swamp Thing. There were some layers in there, so yeah, I enjoyed it as well, and probably enjoy it more so now that I think about it and reflect on it after hearing your thoughts. So, yeah, it was a really cool issue. But he continues saying, so I wrote in about my Christian Bale Batman action figure a while back, and you suggested I send in a photo. I was off at college at the time and didn't have it with me, but I'm back home now and took a picture of it. I also included pictures of my Christian Bale Bruce Wayne and Liam Neeson Rachel Gould figures. Also from Batman Begins, of course. All three are some of my favorite figures that I've collected. Yeah, so thanks for sending those, Jordan. And I yeah, don't remember seeing too many of these, but they do look pretty good for you know movie tie and action figures because those always don't turn out so well <laughs> as far as looking like uh, the characters are supposed to be uh, reflecting. But the Batman one, I think, is really cool. Uh, maybe, I don't want to say, you know, it's obviously not how it was in the movie. I kind of think maybe the movie would have been better if it was like that. Because this has a little more blue tint, the figure. If it was a little more gray then yeah, it would have been cool to see that in the movie. But yeah, the action figures are pretty cool. See, that's what I don't get, right? Um, I don't know why they make stuff that's not really in the movie. Like, take like the Bat Pod, right? Mm-hmm. In the Dark Knight. Uh, Batman, you know, rides on the Bat Pod. And instead of making Batman in the Bat Pod, I mean, they do make that, but then they also make... Batman and I don't know, like a a scooter, <laughs> and like <laughs> Batman and a helicopter. I, I yeah, Batman and a helicopter. You know, it's the same thing with, with with that blue one that you sent us, Jordan. Like, we don't see that in the movie, right? And I don't know why they would make that because everybody would want the 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 bat suit in the movie, right? Well, you know, obvious reason, you know, more figures to make to more people to buy it or to make more money and I have to say it worked like, on me as a little kid for Batman Returns because I got all the different colors of those figures like the Batman with the yeah. gold armor the white Batman oh, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, yeah. it, yeah. it works they get people to buy multiple versions of Batman yeah I mean it's just, it's just like it, it's 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 just like like episode 7 right like you have Ray, you have a Poe Dameron you have you know a Finn you have uh, Kylo Ren, and then you have Jar Jar. Like, why are you making Jar Jar toys? Well, you got to have every character represented. I can't fault them for I, I that. Guess. <laughs> I guess. That's the thing with Batman. A lot of those early Batman movies, there weren't so many characters to make toys. That's why they had to make a bunch of different variations of Batman. Yeah, yeah, I guess. But that one does look cool. It wasn't like so far fetched, kind of like that gold Batman that I had, <laughs> or the one with the white. <laughs> Or that one actually could look like it'd be from a comic so it's definitely well, how would you make a gold Batman <laughs> I know <laughs> it's, it's not as bad as you think I'll say that okay yeah I'll believe you on that I still have it somewhere <laughs> okay a couple of questions to wrap this one up first one how would you rank the villains in the Dark Knight trilogy as I always say Catwoman is not a villain so she doesn't count I'm also omitting a few of the more minor villains like Mr. Zaz Sal Maroney John Daggett Anyway, here's my list. 
Number seven, Talia al Ghul. I hate that I have to have her last. The truth is I love all the villains of the Dark Knight trilogy. I do think Marion Cotillard did a very good job, but you don't get to see much of her being villainous given how late in the movie the reveal happens. And as a Bat-Cat shipper, I'm not a big fan of the relationship that Bruce has with Miranda in the film. I do love the twist of her actually being the child who climbed out of the pit, and it's really cool how she is there to finish her father's plan and avenge his death. Number 6. Scarecrow Cillian Murphy was very creepy in the role, and I love that he shows up in all three movies to establish some more continuity. He has some really cool moments using his fear gas. Number 5. Carmine Falcone I love Tom Wilkinson's portrayal of him. His conversation with Bruce at the restaurant is amazing. He tells you how much power he has, and Wilkinson makes you believe it. Begged like a dog. This guy is just a terrible person. Number 4. Bane I still don't like his voice very much, but everything else about his version, about this version of the character is awesome. He is the greatest physical threat that Batman faces over the course of the Dark Knight trilogy, and both of his fights with Batman are amazing. He is a genius too, though, and he is able to strategically execute his plan to destroy Gotham as well. Number three, Rachel Ghoul. I think Liam Neeson brought so much, but I felt no. Let me read that again. I think Liam Neeson brought so much uh, elegance and power to the role. You first got to see him as a mentor to Bruce, and then finally as the man who tries to destroy Gotham. Number two, Two Face. Aaron Eckhart was the live-action Two Face I always wanted. I love how well he his fall from Gotham's White Knight into one of the criminals he was trying to combat was shown. His journey into the dark or his journey in the Dark Knight is so tragic. Number one, the Joker. Heath Ledger's Joker is my all-time favorite live-action DC villain performance. He was so frightening, and I loved the dynamic he had with Bale's Batman. Despite the fact that he said he didn't look like a guy with a plan, he did have one, and it was fascinating seeing him execute it, and he actually mostly succeeds. Yeah, for me, um, it's going to be a little different. Some will be similar, but I would go, uh, if we're going to count Carmel Falcone, I'll put him number seven, and then I'd go Talia, Rachel Ghoul, number five, number four, Bane, three, Two-Face, Number two, Scarecrow, because I waited so long to see Scarecrow be brought into a Batman movie in live action. He's my second favorite villain, and I was just blown away how well they did it with Batman Begins. With his look, the use of the fear gas, it was just perfect. And then, like you said, Jordan having him show up in The Dark Knight and The Dark Knight Rises 2 was also really cool. Especially in The Dark Knight, I love his reappearance there with his mask. So Scarecrow is my number two. And then number one, of course, the Joker how could it be anyone else but Heath Ledger's Joker for all the reasons you put? So, yeah, that's my list. How about you, Dane? Um, I guess uh, Talia. Um, for, for probably the same reasons uh, Jordan does um, is my is my pick. Uh, probably Bean, and then. Um, Scarecrow, probably, because uh, he. Uh, it's kind of like what we were talking about when we were talking about Wonder Woman, where it's like he he wasn't the main villain of Batman Begins, but yeah, he he's working for the villain, and um, just because he was in all three Batman movies, uh, Dark Knight movies, so uh, probably Scarecrow. Um, hmm. uh, probably Raish. Uh, Liam Neeson because he kind of wasn't that memorable uh, come to think of, think of it I mean 
of course, he, he's kind of being overshadowed by the Heath Ledger's Joker in The Dark Knight. But, you know, it's it's kind of not that memorable. I mean, he was, a, he was a good villain for Batman Begins, especially how he has the connection to Bruce's training and all that stuff. Um, and, you know, that's another thing, too, I, I, I didn't really think about until now is how the Wonder Woman story is kind of like Batman Begins. With with the League of Assassins or League of Shadows, sorry, I think that's what they call it. Um, it, it they kind of mirror the same story in the end. Um, uh, probably the mobsters. I, I, I really liked all of them. All, all of the mobsters. Um, <laughs> that was one big Carmine Falcone. <laughs> one big yeah, just as one clear. big thing. Uh, Carmine Falcone. I I loved him. Uh, the Russian, you can't underestimate oh, the yeah. Russian. <laughs> he he was a pretty pretty good uh, mobster. Um, so yeah, probably the 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 mobsters as a whole. Um, and yeah, probably I, I agree with your last two picks, uh, Jordan, uh, uh, Two Face and Joker, of course. Right. So yeah. So I guess our lists weren't that similar after all. <laughs> our rankings yeah. were kind of all over the place, which is cool because, like you said, Jordan, all the villains of the Dark Knight trilogy were pretty great. So <laughs> as long as Joker's number one, you really can't go wrong <laughs> the, where the rankings are for the other villains. But his second question is, what do you think of the trailer for Batman and Harley Quinn? I loved it. It's great to see Bruce Timm's animation style be, being used again, specifically looking very similar to how it looked in the new Batman Adventures, which included designs that I prefer to the Batman animated series designs for the most part. It's also great to hear Kevin Conroy and Lauren Lester repraising their roles as Batman and Nightwing, respectively, of course. I love our new Harley, Melissa Rauch. She kills it in the trailer, in my opinion. There were some hilarious moments with Harley in the trailer, and I love the juxtaposition of her sense of humor with Batman's uh, relative lack thereof. <laughs> we're almost lucky, or we're also most likely going to get some more Swamp Thing in Batman. I am in the mood for more after Batman 23, to be honest. I'm very excited to see Poison Ivy and Floronic Man as well. The movie just looks to be a really fun adventure honoring the 25th anniversary of both Harley and Batman the Animated Series. I can't wait. I'm right there with you, Jordan. I'm super excited about this one. Like you said, the animation styles, like the new Batman adventures, which I love. Kevin Conroy, Lauren Lester, in particular, having Lauren Lester back as Nightwing is going to be great. It's been much too long since we had him voice the character of Dick Grayson. Then as far as most of as Harley goes, again, I always say no one can top Arlene Sorkin as Harley. She is the definitive Harley and just wish she would do more for the character now that she's becoming more popular and she's being used all over the place. But... Um, yeah, Melissa Rauch is doing an okay job, or well, better than okay. She's gonna look like, looks like she's going to be a pretty good Harley. I prefer her over Tara Strong's interpretation of her in Injustice and some other stuff. Hers is a little too high-pitched and a little more annoying to me, so Melissa Rauch isn't like that one. So uh, I think she's going to do a good job. So yeah, can't wait for it. It comes out uh, in August, so just a few more months, but it looks like it's going to be really good. And that's it for Jordan. He says uh, best. But also, uh, before we wrap his, his email, just want to give Jordan a little shout out because uh, he just uh, posted a video review for his uh, YouTube channel, Gotham News Network, on Wonder Woman. So uh, go ahead and check his uh, video review for Wonder Woman, which, as he said in this email, he loved it just as much as we did. So yeah, go check out the Gotham News Network. But yeah, with that, that's going to wrap up our email section. So 
again, if anyone else wants to send emails, go ahead and send it to batfanswithoutpants uh, at gmail.com. Let us know your thoughts on Wonder Woman, as it looks like uh, a lot of people are seeing it because it's doing really well at the box office, and we'd love to hear more reactions uh, for the movie. So be sure to let us know. All right, so now we can move on to our comic book reviews. And like we say at the beginning of every single comic book review, Tim, Spoilers, it's gonna have spoilers, spoilers, and this one, right? Uh, more spoilers than usual, if you get what I'm referring to. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Tim, that was a that, that was pretty good. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you, Dane. I try. Um, and uh, for this episode, we are going to be reviewing Detective Comics number nine fifty seven. And a rating scale is going to be bad jokes that Tim makes <laughs> or have a, regarding spoilers. Yeah, okay. or bad puns. Like <laughs> bad puns, yeah. All right, so as I referred to in my bad pun, <laughs> Detective Comics number 957 is all about spoiler. We just wrapped up the, the League of Assassins arc, and now we're just kind of going to one-shot issue, kind of like the Batman Swamp Thing one we had last episode. So, yeah, this one we're catching up to see what spoiler is up to now that she left the team. And uh, this issue, I, I really liked it, but with spoiler, she I'm conflicted because I kind of get what she's saying, but at the same time, the way she's doing stuff and, you know, thinking that the way Batman does things is wrong is a little frustrating, too. So I'm, like, kind of 50-50 on where she's at as a character right now. But I like how it starts off where her monologue is talking about how, you know, she knows how things play out in Gotham. You know, it starts out where things are calm and fine in the day, but then when the sun goes down, like the lights go up and the actors come out to play kind of referring to the villains and like criminals in Gotham City and then you know they call out uh, the heroes to come and stop them it's kind of like a repeated process and as she's saying this uh, she's going to take out the bat signal where Harvey Bullock is saying how this is you know like the fifth time it's happened in the last few weeks or so someone keeps uh, breaking down the bat signal and but this time uh, he actually sees Spoiler does it and she distracts them by putting a bunch of cockroaches on his donuts that freaks him out and she's able to destroy the back signal but he does get a look at her this time and yeah so she's giving you know her new status right now is trying to prove that they don't need superheroes they cause more damage than good to those regular citizens you know after what happened to her with the victim syndicate uh, she, she kind of thinks it opened up her eyes to what needs to be done and so as she kind of mentioned in the monologue uh, kind of came to pass in this story where this villain Wrath is kind of saying the same thing where you know he's going to say well let me tell you how Gotham works you know talking to himself through the monologue like this is how you know you take down the Batman you gotta be like the Joker this is how he did it he went on TV announced the killing of, the, of a victim he's going to do that night and so I'm going to do the same thing but yet call out Batman so we see him storming a TV station taking out some security hostage uh, or taking hostage of the crew and the news anchors there about to make his, you know, declaration to call out Batman to bring him out and kill him. But before that happens, Spoiler wants to make sure, you know, she stops it before Batman ever gets wind of it. So, you know, kind of prove a point where things can be done without Batman getting involved. So uh, she's able to take down or stop his broadcast. I just like how this villain Wrath is trying to act all tough, but things keep going wrong for him. Like, he's in the middle of his grand speech to call a Batman, but then the cameraman just comes out, uh, excuse me, uh, the broadcast isn't going through. And he's like, oh, you interrupted me. We'll fix it now. <laughs> Go see what the problem is. I just like how he tries to act all tough, but yet he's really a nobody villain. He can't really do this thing right. So, yeah, uh, that was because of spoilers. She's not allowing the broadcast to go through. So when her men 
or the rats men try to go figure out what's going on she takes them out one by one in a pretty cool sequence of being in the shadows and i just gotta say i just love spoilers costume <laughs> this is really really cool with the hood and that black mask it's definitely one of the favorite amongst the bat family members so she takes them out and then she uh, is gonna try to draw the villain wrath out by tricking him whereas this she has recording of audio of Batman during her training sessions, and as he's tell, as he's kind of telling her, you know, to either do more or to motivate her to as she was training, and she's using that to draw out Rath, kind of in a way mocking him to have him like lose himself and make him realize, hey, this isn't how it's supposed to go. You're supposed to confront me, but you're hiding like a coward. And then once he finally goes to you know where the recording is originating from which is where spoilers hiding or hiding she takes them out pretty easily he's like no there's a there's a way these things go down you cheated there's a way like there's a code like batman's supposed to be afraid and then i'll take him out like you're ruining everything <laughs> but you know he was a pretty easy villain for spoiler to take out and then so when she takes him out everyone's freed uh the police are right out the door and bullock has her at gunpoint saying you know i know it's you who destroyed the bat signal i'm gonna take you in and like spoilers kind of telling him you know uh the reason she's doing this like i'm doing this to show she doesn't fully tell bullock but she's telling him like you got to be the hero here like i was never here don't tell anyone that i stopped these villains let the police be the hero so the citizens can believe that you know uh the police can do things without batman getting involved they had it handled before batman was even aware of it so that's their plan and that's where I get frustrated with the spoiler here. I know where she's coming from. She has a point where there are people in Gotham who are affected in a negative way with superheroes. Cause I like the line she had where she says at the beginning, chances are if you encounter a superhero, it's going to be the worst day of your life. And that can ring true in a lot of situations in these stories. But the way she goes about it, about it trying to stop, stop it is hypocritical in a way because she's doing what she's preaching that superheroes shouldn't be involved is she's saying I'm not a hero I'm just you know trying to spoil things hence the name spoiler but uh, the way she does it especially with the police seeing her I mean uh, they're going to know she did it while they might not publicly say that Batman kind of does the same thing too especially early on Batman didn't want no one any didn't want anybody knowing he was involved stopping these crimes but of course you know as the years went by he did get to become you know a little more known within the public and especially in the police station so eventually if she keeps doing this it's going to get out that there's another hero stopping this and that it's not just the police so i just think she's going about it in a hypocritical way so yeah that's where the issue ends with her going back on the rooftop kind of reflecting on what she's doing her new uh, role as far as you know not being a hero not being a villain but you know she even says i don't know what the heck i am anymore but then uh, someone comes to try to you know tell her he appreciates what she's doing and like how she's going about it and she just punches the guy <laughs> then the last panel reveals it's anarchy and he just says he's here to help so we might be getting a spoiler anarchy team up pretty soon <laughs> which you know we'll see how that goes but i'm just curious to see you know is spoiler stephanie brown going to come to realization that you know this is not the right way to go about it will she go back to batman or will she fall further down that path and maybe even become a villain i don't know so it's going to be interesting to see where her stories goes uh but yeah just from the in-universe standpoint of where her thinking that it's finding a little hypocritical how she's going about it which you know can turn into for some you know good story elements and character characterizations down the line as far as you know what happens to her in the future so uh, i'll be anxious to see how that goes 
So I'll be giving giving this issue uh, three and a half out of five uh, bad jokes slash puns I made with spoiler <laughs> for this review. Right. Um, for me, I I kind of had the same problem that that you had. I I, I like this issue, but she she's saying all the stuff where she's you know she's not a superhero, right? Mm-hmm. Um, she's something different, but yet she's doing everything that a superhero would do. Yeah, pretty uh, much. Up, which, yeah, which is take out the bad guy, right? Take out the villain, which she does. And um, you know, I was like, okay, so, so then what are you then? How, how are you making yourself different? You know, you're just doing what Batman's going to do, or what Superman would do, or what Wonder Woman would have done, right? You're just taking out the villain. And I'm just, uh, I, I was just wondering, like, why is she saying all these things when she's doing this? the same thing that Batman would do um, but with that being said I like this issue it was it was a great any issue with Stephanie Brown in it is a great issue <laughs> for me anyway because I loved her her uh, Batgirl uh, run and uh, yeah this is it's, there's not much to this um, to this issue except uh, it, it was great seeing Stephanie Brown and I, I, I guess what she was thinking at the time. Um, and also, how, how did she get all those cockroaches? <laughs> like, I mean, there, there, there's... How did she get all those roaches and put it in Harvey's uh, uh, donut box or whatever? Well, if you're in Gotham, there's tons of probably run-down abandoned buildings that's just full of cockroaches. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure she has equipment that can hold them all and then disperse them out <laughs> when she wants, but... Yeah, and like you, I I love the spoiler outfit with the with the black mask and the purple and the hood and everything. So, uh, with that being said, I am going to give this a three out of five times that Tim makes bad jokes <laughs> <laughs> about spoiler. Um, so yeah, with that being said, Tim, I think we are at the end of this podcast. Yes, we are. This episode. Um, so just go over to batmanuniverse.net facebook.com slash batmanuniverse twitter handles at batmanuniverse um, our show's twitter handles at batfanspodcast tim's twitter handles at timg311 and my twitter handles at Banana. so with that oh and also you can uh, email the show at batfanswithoutpants at gmail.com so with that being said Tim with that being said what do we say at the end of every single show? Each and every one with all of our bad hearts. <laughs> I gotta say with bad hearts now every time. I just have to. Yeah. Yeah. It's all of our bad hearts. So with that being said, we will see you guys next time. See you next time, everybody. <laughs>